This is Bladcast 500, celebrating nearly a decade of shows, hundreds of guests, and dozens of listeners. To celebrate number 500, Christian will spend the whole show with first-time Bladcast guest, actor, comedian, master thespian, and pathological liar, John Lovitz. But first, here's the man behind the Bladcast, appearing on 498 of the previous 499 episodes, Christian Blatt. Yes, indeed, celebrating 500 episodes of the Bladcast, as always. I am Christian Blatt, excited to be joined by the one, the only, the Mr. John Lovitz. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. And, uh, you know, there's uh, so much I want to talk to you about. And I figured I'd start with the idea of at what moment did you feel like, oh, I'm funny? Because we have all known that you're funny for decades. But when did you, John Lovitz, realize that John Lovitz was so funny? Well, I I knew I wanted to be funny when I was five. I slept over at a friend's house and he had twin beds and his mom said, go to bed. So it was about nine at night and the light, I couldn't close my eyes. And I could still see him. So I just laid there with my eyes open. All of a sudden he popped up and I was bed. He goes, I made a face <laughs> at me and then laid back down and I started laughing. Then he looked back and, and he kept doing it and then lying down like nothing happened. Cause he acted like he was asleep, you know, and I was just crying, laughing. He kept doing it. And I remember then for the first time in my life thinking, okay, I want to be funny like Michael, you know, where is he today? I don't know. <laughs> but when I've uh, when I've heard yeah. you talk uh, in, in the past, it seems like a lot of people you grew up with ended up being doctors. So I'm just going to assume he also became a doctor because it seems like uh, so mom, many people. Well, his mom was my dad's nurse in his office. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> so that might be uh, the case. Yeah, I think that uh, obviously there's uh, you know thinking you're you're funny with friends and funny at school. And uh, I, I never had the self-confidence to think I was funny. I, I do remember well, I was a couple times. What happened? I saw Woody Allen's uh, first movie, Take the Money and Run, when I was 13. And I went, oh, man, I want to be a comedian like Woody Allen. Yeah. So that's when it first dawned on me. And then I, did, I started doing plays in high school. And uh, the second play I did, uh, I was a junior. It was an all-girls school. And my, my school is all boys. So a friend of mine had the lead in this play at this all-girls school. And he goes, hey, they need guys. So he goes, we'll have a lot of fun. And so <laughs> so I said, oh, all right. So there was like, I had three parts in the play. The Man Who Came to Dinner. It was a very famous play. And um, when I came out, I, I was getting huge laughs. And it was the best feeling in the world, you know. Yeah, no, I can imagine. I still I- do it. I like making, I like, the other thing is, I like making people laugh. Like that to me is is fun i like doing that yeah so i uh why are you a comedian i think i'm the only one i've ever heard going i like making people laugh <laughs> well uh yeah i mean i i've uh, heard you talk about how you know you studied uh, i guess you studied drama at uc irvine right and yeah. everybody starts talking about you know why they want to go into the theater but uh you had a different well, approach, I said, right? yeah my teacher my first class because why do you want to be an actor? And he's asking, they go, oh, like this, you know, the art, this. And he comes to me, he goes, why do you want to be an actor? And I said, for the applause. <laughs> he went, he went, like, I remember he went. He went, well, I appreciate your honesty. <laughs> but you have to have more of a reason for, than that. And I go, why? Yeah. And I was joking. I go, why? He goes, 
Well, you just, there's a lot to it. Yeah, but uh, that's still the end result. Like when you think about, you know, how many musicians do you hear in an interview that like, well, I, I picked up a guitar because I wanted to, you know, meet girls. And, uh, you know, oh, yeah. that it's usually the impetus for anything is, you know, some kind but of. I, yeah, because I get to play and the prettiest, the crowd went, I, when I took my bows, the crowd went nuts. And then yeah. and the prettiest girl in the school fell in love with me. And I was like, this is like great. <laughs> it does, but not just the applause, but the, but you know, it's a pro, it does feel great and, and getting the, but making people laugh, you know, it's, it's the best feeling in the world. Yeah. I, uh, you know, it's funny because uh, I, I grew up uh, in a really small town, uh, you know, uh, outside of New York city, it was a small high school and I was in a, uh, I, I liked being on stage. I liked performing. And uh, I was an awful singer. And the the year I was a junior, the musical was this play called Once Upon a Mattress. Carol mm. Burnett did it in the 60s oh, yeah. on Broadway. It's a fun, you know, it's a very like, you know, very princess in the P. It's basically the princess in the P. It's not too racy for, you know, high school kids. And uh, there's a mute king who doesn't sing at any point. And I was like, I think I found my calling. And uh, I did that. And it was so much fun. And then the next year we did South Pacific and they gave all my, my songs to the chorus because I was such a terrible singer, but I still got to be out there, you know, yeah, wearing a coconut bra. So, uh, you know, I mean, yeah, do, doing plays in high school, it was more fun than, than any play I ever did. I mean, one of the, one of the things it was just sure. pure fun. <laughs> Uh, to uh, keep it with uh, UC Irvine for a moment, I always think it's uh, interesting that your inspiration for Master Thespian is an actual Master Thespian, an actual person who taught uh, acting to you, correct? A lot of it was, yeah, William Needles. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> he was in the Stratford Festival in Canada, which is a rep group. It's like this, there's like the two top repertory groups in the world are you know, the Royal Shakespeare Company and then the one in Canada, the Stratford Festival. And, the, you know, they do, you know, it's a huge company, huge budget. They do plays year round and, and the, they have seasons. They do them a lot of play. And the very Maggie Smith would go there all the time and Brian Bedford. But William Needles he came to our school to teach us Shakespeare. And he was uh, he was just great to me. And uh, I made him laugh, you know, and he was very fond of me. And I went I went to his office one time. I go and I go, hey, Mr. Needles. He always would tell the story. I go, Mr. Needles, uh, do, you, do you think I can act? He goes, well, I don't know. I've never seen you. I've never seen you do anything. I go, oh, yeah, right. So he goes, well, why don't you learn this, Lancelot Gobble? Why don't you try this? I go, okay. I go, well, when's class? He goes, Thursday. I go, all right, I'll learn it for Thursday. He goes, no, you can't learn it that quick. I go, yeah, I can. Don't worry. I'll do it. So, and I did. You know, and then I did it, and he was dying laughing. And but he was always very supportive, and he'd have me do. He'd play for me this record, um, John Gilgood, Ages of Man, and uh, it was like going. And the drama department was so small; there's only ninety kids, so it was like going to a private school, really. <clears throat> and um, you know, so you had the. I mean, when I think back about it, it was extraordinary. So, he, and he'd listen do hear John Gilgood doing King Lear, and he goes, "I want you to do this in class." And so they were in class here. And I was known as like the class clown. And he goes, now listen, everyone. Uh, I know Jonathan's very funny, but this is serious. And I want you to pay attention. Hey, my cat. So don't use. Uh, so I was doing King Lear and some girl goes, oh, you made me cry. You know, and I'm, Cordelia. I'm just imitating John Gilgood. Cordelia, Cordelia, stay a little. 
this feather stirs. Why, you know, she's still alive. I don't remember it, but uh, it, he was great. So, but he had a big voice. So I remember um, our first class because well, I'm going to be teaching you Shakespeare, and uh, he goes. So here's here's an example. This is the speech from the uh, the chorus, the opening of the play Henry the <clears> Fifth. <throat> oh, for a muse of fire that were to send the brightest heaven of invention like that. I'm like, what the fuck? I'd never heard anything like that. And I could just yeah. imitate him. And Master Thespian also, I like, you know, actors that were bigger than life, for real. John Barrymore, John Kerry, oh, sure. guys with these big voices, you know, and very dramatic. And yeah, so I remember in high school they showed us, a, it was a BBC version of Hamlet with Derek Jacobi. I think uh, Patrick Stewart, I think, was Claudius. And, uh, you know, I had never seen anything like that. And, you know, he's a great actor, but there's still those moments where you're like, if you're not used to that kind of, I, I, to this day, 35 years later, I remember he's like, to be or not to be. And he looks in the camera. That is the question. And I'm like, what is he doing? Like, you know, he's right in our face. On our yeah, it's a little over the top. They would yeah. sing the lines, you know, they'd sing them. Yeah. And I remember I just saw William Shatner at this autograph show and he goes, and he was a he was a Shakespearean actor, you know, at Stratford. He knew yeah. my teacher, Bill Neals. He goes, "Oh, Bill Neals," and uh, and he goes, "Yeah, I don't know why they do it like that." <laughs> Doesn't it sound real? And then he, William Shannon, would do it just like real, and it sounds great. You can understand what he's talking about. I'd watch the BBC. Of course, they're great actors. One time, they had five guys from the Royal Shakespeare Company. Uh, this there was a professor at UC Santa Barbara. And he got these guys to do a show and teach students. And they came to Irvine. And two of the guys were Ben Kingsley and Patrick Stewart, you know. And they were great on stage. Uh, they were great. And, but, and Ben Kingsley, I sat in the grass, me and four other students. He goes, oh, I'll teach you guys how to do Shakespeare, you know, how we do it. It's great. And, uh, but a lot of times um, I'd watch the BBC and their voices would be like, you know, then, so up and down. I didn't know what they were saying. You know, he goes, my Lord, I come to the I mean, that's what it sounded You're like, what? Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's like, they would take it so seriously, but it's like, okay, you have to have variety in your voice, which yeah. is true, but you don't want variety for variety's sake. There's got to be a, a reason and a thought behind it and emotion. You can't just, your voice go up and down for no reason. That's what newsmen do on the news, right? When they read the news, they go, you have to have variety. Okay, today there was an accident on the freeway and we'll see what it was about right now. <laughs> right, exactly. It, the it old... makes no... Yeah, right. They're just varying their voice and right know, after this. behind yeah. it. <laughs> so, uh, so Master Thespian, of course, is uh, you know, something that you develop in that way. Is that something that you honed uh, when you joined the Groundlings, which I assume was shortly after? College? Yeah, I was, well, no, I, I I graduated in '79. I went to the Groundlings in '82. Okay, I did a class for a camera a year and a half. This guy Tony Barr, which was great, and then acting in front of the camera, which a friend of mine from college, Mike Sabatino, said. He graduated before me, like three months before. I go, what do we do? Like, I don't, he goes, well, everything in LA is on camera, you know, movies and TV. So he goes, I'm taking a class for the camera. And I go, okay. I had no idea what to do. And then I went, I wasn't getting anywhere. I went to New York for a year, wasn't getting anywhere. I did the Renaissance flare, 
Renaissance Fair. Which, and, by the way, that was my, I grew up the town next to that Renaissance Fair, the one in Tuxedo, Tuxedo New York. Yeah. My high school that I referenced earlier is in Tuxedo, New York. That's the oh. greatest summer job you can have when you're 16. And, you know, everybody who works there is, you know, girls from other high schools that, in my case, didn't know how cool I was at my high school, you know, so I could, you know, they could meet me for the first time. And, uh, you know, I worked at a tavern, like just slugging around beer at, at 16. And, and it's just like, it was I, really I, fun. Yeah, it was so much fun. And uh, that was always the thing. It's like, well, you know, John Lovitz used to be here. And they think about a lot of, I mean, some of the actors were great. Like they would do like an instant Shakespeare show. I didn't that, know that. I did it. I did it one yeah. summer, you know, a friend of mine. Okay college got me an audition and so i i got what happened and i got to do it exit full screen <laughs> we can stay full screen that's fine <laughs> no i have it on my camera oh maybe i'll get back into it and um so it was really fun you just improvise all day and you, you go yeah. make up a character so i was the village prankster well, so even even me off. working at a tavern uh, was like we were encouraged to do the accent, and they at least in when I did it in like the early '90s, you were encouraged to be mean to the customers because that's what they were there for. I doubt that now. I'm sure now people would. No, they never said be mean, but I would. I could just go around it and uh, just do you know, you just stay in character, and I go, you know, look, you know, a, a woman will be have a baby in a stroller, and I go, look at that. Look at that man masquerading as a baby. <laughs> he stole my wallet, you know, my money, you know. And, and, and then I'd go on stage. I was nuts. I was like 24, so I'd go on stage. I'd go backstage, I'd get a skirt and a wig, and I had a mustache. And there was a, a new tampon, not used, but in the white thing, so I'd have it like it was a cigarette, and i go, and, I'd yell, and they'd be waiting to do the joust. At the end of the day, there's like 5,000 people to go, There'll be no more archbishops, only arch rabbis. <laughs> then the guards, it'd be the big procession with the queen and the guard, and the guards yeah. would see me on stage. They go, you know, and they'd run after me and chase me, and I'd be running around. You know, it was really fun. Yeah, you could you could yeah, tell how much fun people were having. The the actors all the way down to my official title was title was beverage runner, and it's just like it's just a, because people are showing up to have fun, and it's not like Disneyland prices. You know what I mean? And so it's like weekend, and everybody was you know with everybody. Oh yeah, yeah. There there was a whole scene at the campsite, and there was a yeah. bar down the street. For Everyone's young in the twenties. It was fun. And then, but, uh, so you only did that one year, though. Huh? Lady Windermere's fan with people that were in the Renaissance Fair. They told me about it, you know. So I tried out for that and got that. And then, and then, um, but I wasn't getting anywhere. So I moved back to Los Angeles too and started a class at the Ground Leagues. And and then I got in the, you know, through, worked my way through the classes. And then I got in a, a scene. We had to do scene nights. Next, so I worked on Master Thespian doing it as in a scene. Right. And at the point, that point for the Groundlings, uh, Lorraine Newman, one of the original uh, SNL cast members, had been a, a member there. She was like the big name, or were there already a lot of people who'd established themselves? Well, there was her. The, uh, I'd been there five years before, a uh, 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 manager, David Stewart. It's a small world. Like uh, I grew up with uh, Lisa Kudrow's brother, David, and her family. Well, Lisa, my little sister, and they have another sister, Helene, and she's working for a manager. Uh, named David Stewart, who was working for Larry Thompson, who's a big manager. So she said, hey, this guy will give you advice. So I said, David, what should I, you want me to comedy? He goes, go to the Groundlings. 
there's a guy named Paul Rubens and he has a midnight show as this character, Pee Wee Herman. And it's really funny. You, you should be like in that. He was right. So I went to the show sure. and Paul Rubens, I mean, his Pee Wee was just hysterically funny, crazy funny. And people were, I mean, I was crying laughing. It was so funny. And then um, I called the next day and I go, hey, I want to take class. I go, come on down. And it scared me. This guy, Lou, I later became close with friend Tom Maxwell, but he had this big accent. I, I don't know. I was an idiot. I was scared. But I finally went back and um, a lot of people helped me. This girl in my acting class at Tony Bars, I ran into her. I was valeting at a party. And, and, and she had a, a, she got married, this guy, Max Fink, who was a lawyer and he, he helped me pay for two sessions of the growlings. And I mean, a lot of people helped me. Uh, and then, uh, but I got into the main company. That's where I started doing sketches. And this girl, Hillary Krieger was in there. She's already, a um, her husband was a writer. So she taught me how to write sketches, which, you know, was great and how to outline them and do it, you know, um, Right. And uh, by the way, the uh, I, I don't know how much it changed, but, the you know, there's this uh, HBO special of like the Pee Wee show that, uh, you know, it's before he does the actual kids show. And uh, I mean, I remember seeing that and it's just like this is one of the funniest things I've ever seen. And uh, well, Tim Stack was in the Groundlings when I was right. already in uh, Phil Hartman. He was like the king of the Groundlings. And then I got to understudy. A, uh, I got in the Sunday company. And after a year, I didn't get voted in. So Tom Maxwell said, well, why don't we see how, we... so I didn't know what to do. Cause I thought I, by then I was good enough. And there was people getting in the company at that point that I knew I was better than. And the director of the company, Tracy Newman is one of sister said, she goes, no, you are good enough to be in the company, but you, you have, ta you're talented. You can do other stuff. I go, I'm here to be in this. Yeah. So I was pretty pissed. So Tom goes, why don't we see how we work together? You can understudy a part in this play. It was called Chick Hazard. Olympic Which trials. that's that's like a character that, that Phil did that right. I think variations of Chick Hazard you see on SNL, right? It's sort of yeah. like the... Yeah, he yeah. did it one time on the show, or maybe twice, but he did it. And um, it was the Olympics in 84 in LA, and they had an Olympic Arts Festival. And they funded nine, not 99-seat theaters, you know, non-equity theaters to do plays. And the Groundlings was one. So they go, you have to come up with a play that has the Olympics as a theme. So anyway, they picked Phil a character and, the, and they set the play in the 1932 Olympics in L.A., you know, and he's his character is like, you know, Humphrey Bogart, Sam Spade, detective like yeah. that. <laughs> he was brilliant. at it. So I got to understudy and it was and I said, well, how do you well, whose idea was it for me to understudy? And they go, uh, Phil's. I go, what? Phil knows who I am. He goes, yeah. And I go, and Phil's we all looked at him. He's a big, 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 like a star. In the ground, and our, everyone's mind's growling. He's a star. He's like, you know, genius. And I remember I was in the hallway of the groundlings. They had the hallway where you have lockers. And I was in my locker and I saw Phil walking down in his costume with the fedora and the makeup. I guess he was doing a photo shoot. I go, I go, I go, hi, Phil. I'm John Lovett. He goes, yeah, John, I know who you are. I go, you do? Yeah, I've seen your work. I think you'll be, I think you're fantastic. I go, thank you. I go, well, thanks for recommending me to understudy the party. He goes, oh, yeah, you'll be great. And he kept walking and, and I was in my mind, I went, oh my God, Phil Hartman spoke to me. Like that's how big a deal he was. So I, and I got in the groundlings and Lorraine Newman saw me the first night I did that play. She was doing the movie. Um, 
with Jamie Lee Curtis. What was, uh, oh, and John Travolta. Perfect. perfect. Yeah. And John Travolta. She brought John Travolta to the show. <laughs> they come backstage and Lorraine goes, Oh, you're so good. She goes, how long have you been doing this show? I go, it's my first night. She goes, no, really. I go, it's my first night. She goes, she goes, no, will you stop? Really? How long? I go, <laughs> I'm you. I go, it's my first night. I go, I'm understanding a part. And this is my first night. She goes, you're kidding. I go, no, she was blown away. So anyway, she befriended me. So later on, she recommended me to Lauren for SNL, you know, the next year. And, and, um, and I got a movie with Charles Grodin. He recommended me. And Mike Eisenstadt, who who I knew, he'd become an agent and he signed me. Mike Mike helped me get the show. He submitted my tape. And uh, before you uh, six before five, you... we got on the the tonight. The Groundlings got on the Tonight Show, and I did my liar character on there. And... Yeah, that <laughs> was uh, now, that, go, that was one of those moments when you know, like at that point, you know, being on the Tonight Show was you know like. It, even great. even like being on the Super Bowl now, it's like almost like not as many people watching as watch the Tonight Show at that point. I'm sure. So I'm sure so many people. No, no, saw it was like five million people. Yeah, you know, right. Exactly. Less than <laughs> two million watch it now, but five million. It was a huge break. It helped me get. You know, Mike. He went to his age. He goes, "Can I sign him now?" He kept trying to sign me. He goes, "He's on the Tonight Show." Okay, okay. <laughs> um, and the time that you spent at the Groundlings before uh, auditioning for SNL, uh, I, I assume you worked a lot with Phil Hartman. And did you guys develop? No, I there? didn't. I, well, oh, when I got in the main company, then, yeah. then, I, then you know, we did. Did you develop the the thing that uh, that you you've done you had done on the show? But also, there's there's actual video of uh, some of the SNL auditions. Yours isn't there, but no, Phil's is there, and you yeah, and and you come up at the end, and you do the thing that I always liked, which is the the uh, we're gonna have to let you go. And you know, he's like, oh, "Don't beat around the bush. Tell me." And then the, he just doesn't get it, and you're like, you "No, I'm telling you, you're finished." Yeah, and I wrote, I said, "Why don't we write a sketch of it? We're always doing it." I forgot though. I didn't realize how much of the sketch. Uh, and that's when we wrote it that that we'd done in the, in his audition. I didn't remember, and I was like, "Oh, a lot of it." But <laughs> uh, but we'd always go just cross that line. You know, I'd say something. He goes, "He goes, Wi-Fi." He goes, "Just cross that line." I'd say, thing, and he'd go, "Wi-Fi two cents." I go, "Yeah, what would you do for a nickel?" You know, we'd always do it. <laughs> Why don't we write a sketch of it? We're always doing it, so we did called uh, one more mission, and I play the head of a studio. And he plays an actor who's been a pilot in war movies and he's gotten nutty. Like he actually thinks he's in the war. So I've got to fire him, you know. There was a great movie. Uh, and the part of that character I was playing was Lee Tracy from the movie um, uh, Dinner at Eight. And, and John Barrymore is spoofing himself. It's a great scene. And Lee Tracy's his agent. And he's like... You through, do you hear me? You through. You'll never work in motion pictures or plays and theater. He says, John Barrymore, you're through as an actor. You're through. He goes, you know that part I got you in the play? It was the part of a dead body washed up on a beach for three days. And I had to beg him to give it to you. Why don't you just kill yourself? You're just taking up space. Uh. That was his agent. <laughs> then, then you get in the show business, you go, yeah, makes sense. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, the, yeah. When you're actually in show business, and your agent says, "Well, I don't know, maybe you need to sell your house." So yeah, that's what they said to me. I know. You've heard you talk about that. Uh, so when it comes time to audition for uh, SNL, uh, obviously, 
we both know Dennis Miller. You know him a lot better and much longer. But uh, I remember one of the times you talked to him about that audition, and I don't think he realized this, that, uh, you know, you obviously got nervous heading into it. But then I, I guess you kind of saw in the control room, you saw how he was approaching the audition, which, of course, was very different. Yeah, well, they, it's not we, like he did characters. They first did an audition in person, and I felt like yeah. I blew it. And then the next day, they put us on tape. They go, be here at 4.30. So I was there at 4, 4.10. <laughs> nice. I'm always late, as you yeah. see. I didn't want to be like, so I'm waiting and waiting and waiting. And then I start nervous. Then I go, I, I got to calm down. So then I watch TV and I saw a Humphrey Bogart movie, Big Sleep. I go, I'll watch that. You know, being there was, it was just like, this is that world those people live in. I just couldn't believe it. And then I started getting sleepy. You know, and I, was, I didn't go on camera to like four hours later. I was waiting and waiting. So then I, w- I walked around and, and then I saw, I saw the control room. I didn't even know it was there. And I, and I saw Dennis and he was so loose and relaxed. I go, oh, all right, I'll be like that. You know? And then the interesting thing is, it, you know, he told me this, but he's also said it on some of the various shows that he's had. As, as he would point out, all of his shows that have been canceled. But he said on a number of shows that uh, he didn't get hired for SNL. And you were going to do. No, weekend I update. was hired to do a weekend update. Yeah, and and they had these two guys in charge of it from Boston, and 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 I kept trying to be funny. They go, "No, don't be funny. Just do it straight. Do it straight." So I think. And a week later, Lauren goes, "Um, John, you'll Lauren Dennis is going to do update. You'll have plenty to do." I think they're the ones that like said, you know, he can't do it. They ended up getting fired themselves. Well. These two guys, yeah. Three, they were there for three weeks. Oh, wow. Three, year, okay. three years later, this guy that was fired from Update, Richard, he wrote a book. A book came out called Murder on the 17th Floor. <laughs> and it was basically about, he was so angry that he was fired, he wrote a book about Lauren being pushed out of the window. <laughs> of his uh, office. And it was, you know, it goes an executive producer of a late night sketch comedy show at Rockefeller Center in the 17th floor. <laughs> when you think That's back on that, only there three weeks. Uh, yeah. When you think back on that, obviously it, it's not that weekend update isn't something you could have done, but do you feel like you would have been, done it. I could you feel like you would have been restricted in the amount of like characters and could, things you could have done? Do well, the point is I could have done it, but. Yeah, I, I, you go. Could you do what Dennis did? I go. Well, no, I'm not him. I don't think like him. I don't write jokes like that. You know, I would have done my own thing. You know, I don't know what I would have done. I just, the only thing I remember is, you know, news. They go, this just in, da 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 da. Right. So I thought yeah. I'd be doing the news, da da da. And someone had me papered. This just in. This guy that you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I would have done whatever and been funny the way I'm funny. And they come, no, no, no. And I go, wasn't it a comedy show? You don't, you don't want me to be funny. Well, the interesting thing is that that first season that you were on SNL is is it's such an odd mix of people. It was the first one that Lauren was back. You know, it, it's it's like, you know, when you when you go through like a band's discography, there's like like there's one Aerosmith album that they didn't do with Joe Perry. You're like, what? How did that happen? And then there's this one year that obviously well, you, the year I was on. I mean, the cast was crazy talented. Yeah, Jimmy absolutely. Clay, Robert Downey Jr., Joan Cusack. Uh, Denitra Vance, Terry Sweeney, and Anthony Michael Hall. Yeah. You know, Damon Wayans. 
you know, and then Dennis and Nora and I, I mean, it was very talented cast, but you know, and, and we had done a lot of good stuff, but they just kept slamming us. I remember a review came out in TV guide and it goes, Oh, the show's no good. We'd already done 11 shows, but they only talked about the first three. So but when the review came out, they didn't mention that by at this point, my everybody, the whole nation was imitating my liar character that was working. There was a lot of good stuff, you know, but, but it almost, I don't know. The reviews are so bad. So they almost were going to cancel the show. And yeah. Lily, and and Brandon Tartikoff was the head of the network. He was going to cancel it. And his wife, Lily said, you can't do that to Lauren. You can't do that. You can't bring them back for when you're in this fire. Yeah. The, and, so they and, said, so they let everybody go. I had, you know, no, no choice in the matter. They let everybody go except for um, Dennis and Nora and I. And then they said, we want people you work well with. So I recommended Tim Stack and Phil Hartman and, and uh, Tress McNeil and Stewart. They were the four best people at the Groundlings. You know, and I'd say to Lauren, hey, if you think I'm good, you should see Phil. He, he He's a genius. He's, you know, amazing. He can do anything. And and Lauren didn't want to hire him. I had to beg him. I go, come on, come on, come on. Well, and then they, they finally it true that uh, Phil actually Lauren didn't want it at first, though, I mean, right? Phil turned it down. Yeah, yeah. And then he changed his mind and said, yes. And I tried to convince him, no, Phil, you got to do it. You got to do it. And then he changed his mind and said, yes. So I went to him. I go, so did you change your mind? Because, you know, I convinced you. And he's like, no. <laughs> I go, it wasn't me. No. Who was it? It was Joel Silver. We did, Penny Marshall put us in the movie Jumpa Jack Flash and Joel produced it. And he said, Joel called him up and goes, you're crazy not to do this. You're crazy, you know. You have to do it. So Phil goes, okay. Yeah. And for me personally, that's like the golden era for that show because that's when I would actually watch it. I mean, at first I, I had to record well, it on the VCR because it was on past my bedtime. had a background in comedy, like yeah. just comedy. And everyone kind of knew each other. I mean, I knew Phil. I'd worked with Jan Hooks before in this, on this thing, Playboy sketch show uh, called 90 Minutes, I think. Um and and then like Dana brought on Kevin, and then they both knew Whitney Brown from stand up, and they knew Victoria. You know, so everyone kind of knew each other from something else. And they and Dennis and Dana knew each other, and Kevin. You know, but everybody was like Robert Downey was twenty, Anthony Michael Hall was seventeen. You know, everybody now is like by this point I was twenty nine. Everyone was like twenty nine, thirty, thirty one, thirty two. Uh, Victoria was a little younger. Phil was 37, you know. Yeah. As was Randy Quaid. But it was weird, though. I remember going there the second year, and those guys weren't there, and it felt very strange. But I was thrilled yeah. that Phil was there, you know. Yeah, I think that uh, your point is a good one, that uh, obviously no one's going to say that Robert Downey Jr. isn't talented. It's just that wasn't a good spot for his talent to shine, you know. And Well, I disagree. People... I thought everybody was doing really well. Okay. So I, I um, it, the cast was starting to gel and really work well together. And there were sketches, like there was a sketch where uh, Tony Danza hosted and, and it was like a boxing thing and I was an announcer and, and Anthony Michael Hall was in it and he was brilliant, you know. He, and I remember talking to Whitney, he go, God, Michael's so funny. Of course he was funny. He was hysterical, you know. Yeah, and then Robert goes. I don't know. I was doing these weird things, like you know, a guy in a suitcase and uh, a, a spine boy. He did a <laughs> <laughs> of someone who had no spine. I thought it was funny. 
Yeah. Well, clearly, uh, Lauren and everyone felt like, you know, people who were more, you know, like you said, from the comedy background. Uh, I wanted to go back to one thing, though. You know, you said that Dennis didn't really know you before that. And he's talked about the moment that we, he... we, were, we were on the plane. Right. And uh, they had like all these huge auditions. So from Los Angeles, it was they brought out for the final auditions, three men and three women. The three men were myself, Dennis Miller and Damon Wayans. And the women were uh, Pam Madison, Jennifer Tilly, and um, downtown Julie Brown, downtown Julie Brown. Julie, you know, the prom queen's got a gun. Right, the, the so redhead Julie I Brown. I didn't know Dennis or Damon. And I was sitting next to Dennis. And he goes, what do you do? I go, I have this liar character. And Dennis always goes, okay, yeah, this chimp's got no chance. <laughs> I'm going to smoke this guy. Very, good, very close friends. You know, I love the guy. Sure, of and, course. And... Um, yeah, and then and then I was doing an update, and I said, "Hello, I'm Tommy Flanagan." He goes, "Love it, isn't it, Flanagan?" I go, "Yeah, but he's lying." Yeah, he goes, that well, that was what I was going to say. Is goes, that's what? when he realized he can't what even a get genius. his own name straight. He yeah, lies that, so much. He goes, "He can't even get his own name straight." I go, "Yeah," and that's when and, he went, "Oh my god!" So he thought that was like brilliant. that's when he realized the genius of the character, and I think he even the way he tells it is that in dress rehearsal he said, "Ladies and gentlemen, Tommy Flanagan." And then you had to tell him, I was like, no, his name is Tommy Flanagan because he lies about even that. And then it was sort of like the light bulb. And it uh, obviously having a character stand out. I don't know that you know, it's genius. I, just, I, li- I sold movies and a guy being lying going, yeah, that's the ticket. And then I had a, a friend I liked who later became a girlfriend. A girl, I go, she says, I like a guy with a fat wallet. And I go, well, my dad does have 15, just had 15 oil wells come in. She goes, yeah, right. I go, well, he's a pathological liar. And I was working as a messenger and this guy was lying his head off. And I'm very, it was very naive. I, I always believe people, whatever they say, but this guy was lying so bad. It was so obvious. It was so ridiculous. And then I thought of, and then we had to do a thing in the groundings on a panel called, um, where you'd say your name and what you do. So I did my character. Hello, my name is Tommy Flanagan. I'm a member of Pathological Liars Anonymous. In, in fact, I'm, I'm the president of that organization. <laughs> and then the funny part is like, he thinks he's getting away with it. And then people laugh and then he's like, Oh, oh you buy it. Oh yeah. <laughs> he's an idiot. You know? So, so, um, and then they go, how long have you been lying? The audience has questions. I go, I don't know what you're talking about. I thought that would be funny. They go, you said you were a liar. No, I didn't. You just said, that. I go, no, never said that. <laughs> and Robin Schiff was a growling. She goes, no, she goes, John, you set it up. Just stay in character. Just answer anything. You set it up so perfect. I was like, oh. So she goes, all right, let's try it. She goes, what's your favorite sport? And I went, mm-hmm. bowling. <laughs> right, he's lying about it. I went, oh, my God. I didn't even see it. And then I got in the groundlings, and I wrote a monologue like a guy at AA saying, you know, I drink. Here's my story. And that's not funny, but I thought, what if it was Pathological Liars Anonymous? Yeah. He starts lying about how he became a liar. And I go, God, that's funny. Yeah. So to, to have that stand out from SNL, especially at a point where, you know, you're having TV guide articles written and then well, I did it the first time, like I did, I did that on the tonight show and then I did it in the, on the same thing on the, on SNL. And then after that, Lauren goes, why don't you write it with, let's do it again. Where Robert Smigel, the triumph insult dog goes, John, the next week goes, this guy just came to Lauren's office, electrician, and said, that liar thing's the funniest thing I've seen in years. And Lauren was like, oh. 
So Lauren goes, why don't we do it again? And he goes, John, why don't you work, write it with A. Whitney Brown? And I was like, okay. And I was, thank God, because I didn't know what else to do with the character, you know? So Whitney, I always give him credit. After that, it was Whitney and I together, which it was. And and I, he, Whitney it really helped me expand the character. And I really, it was great. I learned how to write jokes from Whitney. It was brilliant. And uh, and I was good at editing. And he goes, God, you're great at editing. I go, well, you're great at writing jokes. And we're learning from each other. It was great. Yeah. And I mean, I think that obviously you need sort of, yes, you need the the talented on-camera people, but the people behind the scenes having those. Whitney really helped, you know, expand the character, what to do with it next. You yeah. Know. Totally, hundred percent. Well, and and Smigel, uh, I heard him talk once about why Triumph, the insult comic dog, has that accent. And there had been a sketch on Conan before he ever did that one, and all those dogs had the similar accent. And he has this really logical explanation. He's like, "Well, I think that all dogs are immigrants. You know, they're obviously not from here. They're coming from somewhere else, and so they all talk like that." And he, you know, his explanation is, is is like more thoughtful than what oh, I'm that's summarizing. His mind. I mean, you know, he's yeah. He's He's a great writer and that's, yeah, that's his imagination. Right. Exactly. So you, you have all that. And, uh, you know, I, obviously the, the show has Robert. dogs. <laughs> so if, uh, if your dog, Jerry Bruckheimer, the third were to start speaking, he'd probably well, he, sound yeah, like I guess that. Well, you know, Robert, he's, he's a pug chihuahua. So he's Chinese and Mexican. Born <laughs> in America. Uh, and so, uh, you know, from that, that second, that second season you're on, one of the things that, that, that stood out, at least for me just watching the show, I was excited that William Shatner was going to be on. And you have one of the, the best moments and one of the best known sketches from that era, which is the, you know, he's at the Star Trek convention and he tells everybody to get a life and you don't even have a line. He just says to you in the audience and you, have you ever even kissed a girl? And you just put what your you, head no, he down. Goes, he goes, how old are you? What are you, 30? I go, he goes, have you ever even kissed a girl? And it wasn't in the script, but I just did. I went, have you, so I asked, go, have you ever even kissed a girl? And I go, have you ever even kissed a girl? <laughs> just put your head down so slowly. And I have a, I, I, I grew up a big Star Trek fan and I love that. I have a Let me tell you, you know, they, they have back then when I did it, if somebody hosted, it was, they used to be on the show, like, like Chevy Chase or, or Bill Murray, or they, were a giant movie star. Once in a while, you'd have a TV star like Ted Danson Woody, or Woody Harrelson, but you had to be the number one show on television. Yeah. So it was only these giant, you know, stars. And so every week they'd have somebody, you know, this is about two years in. And Dennis, you know, was on update and he goes, why aren't I in sketches? I go, well, Dennis, you don't hang out on Tuesday nights. Like hang out and put in the time and be with everybody and, and you would, but you're not here. So no one's thinking of you. Yeah. And, so, and, so and he then would always, when he's sketches, so we'd, read through, we'd sit around the table and, you know, whoever it was, you'd see, I'd look at Dennis. He's like, <laughs> he'd have nothing to do for three hours. You know what I mean? Well, and that's why he wrote uh, Coco Mishu in the Bay. Right. The <laughs> so, but he'd have nothing to do. So he'd always be kind of grumpy. So then yeah. William Shatner hosted. And we all grew up, you know, Star Trek, you know, it was huge. And William Shatner was huge. So like William Shatner and I remember like Dana, I'm like, it's Kirk, you know, it's Kirk. We were like thrilled. I look at Dennis, right? Who's always like, I look at Dennis and he's like this. <laughs> he was so excited. 
We all were, though. But even yeah, Dennis course. is so excited. William Shatner, we were just like, it's Kirk. We couldn't believe it. And just, and he was really nice. And I still run into him and see him. I hit these horror shows I went to, and I'll see him and stuff, like autograph shows, which are become like, you know, Comic Con stuff. And yeah, and he'll be there. And he goes, John, sit down. Let's have lunch. And of course, I'm, you know, it's him, but I, I'm thrilled. You know, it's Kirk. Yeah, no, exactly. And, 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 and he's super nice. And it's just, um, yeah, we were just, oh, we were thrilled. The funniest, I'll tell you a story. So he did the show. He made it look so easy. And I said, how do you do that? He goes, just do it. Because every they would put you, they would stress the hell out of you. And, did you do this? Did you do this? You do that? And you'd be like this. So he goes, just do it. He just, so I thought, all right, the next week, I go, all right, what would he do? I go, what are they really asking me to do? Walk and talk. Like, go walk from here to here, this spot to this spot. And there's a little piece of tape, your mark on the ground. Walk from here to, to behind the couch and go, blah, blah, blah. So I, I boiled it down to that. And I wasn't, I go, I'm not going to stress myself out this week. I was convinced that I would do the show and would not be funny because I didn't, you know, stress myself out all week. So I did the show. I was convinced people are going to go, what are you doing? You're just walking through it. I didn't walk through it, but I just did it with no stress. And at the end of the show, I go, hmm. Well, I wasn't less funny and I wasn't <laughs> more funny. I was the same. And I went, what have I been putting myself through every week? And after that, it was a breeze. And I still did all the work and I would learn my lines, you know, which no one else would really do. And um, how, speaking of that, and it was just, such I a, got it's, so relaxed that, you know, it just became super fun. I was like, from a performing standpoint, it, it seems like it's not like anywhere else because, you know, there are definitely hosts and uh, I've heard later cast members talk about not learning your lines because they change them so much on the cue cards, you know, because they're just changing. Well, the this joke. what happened. My first show, my first sketch, was I nervous? Oh my God, was I nervous. I'm not going to kid you. And, and uh, you, I was like, <clears throat> And it was a talk show, and I remember Terry went, and then or someone, Denitra and Nora, and then it was my turn, and I was so nervous. I, they looked so relaxed with the first yeah. show. I was like, oh my god, they're going. Twenty million people are watching me right now. I go, oh no, no, it's three hours later in LA in the coast. Okay, that cuts out ten million. <laughs> but I was so nervous, and, and Madonna was the host. And then later on, I did a sketch with her, uh, and you know, there's cue cards, and and so she. I was Prince Charles and she was Lady Diana. And she took my line on the cue card, not on purpose. She made a mistake. Right. She read my line. That was next. And I saw that. So all my training, all my experience of 13 years of doing plays and hundreds of scenes, you know, maybe that, I don't know, kicked in. So I went, oh, so I, I took her line that she missed and then said my next line and kind of combined them and then went into the next thing, you know, and I just kind of, it took my attention of myself and onto the sketch. So, so that took away nervousness, but anyway, Penny Marshall had befriended me. She'd been on, uh, on this uh, film shoot. The first thing I did for SNL, like a week before with Madonna or two weeks before befriended me. So she called me up. She goes, Hey, she goes, learn your lines. I go, why can you tell me reading the cue card? She goes, yes, your eyes are darting. 
I go, oh, I think I can get away with it. Yeah, so I right. learn my lines. Now, if it was right to camera, you didn't have to learn them. You had to know them, but you'd have to memorize because it didn't. You you could read it and look the same as if you're just saying it, because you had to, you know, um, budget your time because it was just too, so much to do. But I would learn them, you know. Right. And then they would yes they would make changes. So I would write notes in the meeting. I was also like, I noticed the only guy that's writing notes, I go, what are they doing? So I'd write the order of the sketches. There were so many notes. I couldn't remember them all. So yeah. I write them down what Lauren said, you know, he'd give the notes and then right before a sketch, I'd look at the notes and go, okay, okay. And then go, go do the sketch. So obviously, you know, and you, sometimes I, yes, I use the card sometimes, but mostly I, 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 I would yeah. memorize their lines. Right. And then obviously, you know, there are some characters that are predicated on not knowing what's on the cards. Like specifically, I'm thinking of Bill Hader's Stefan character that John Mulaney would write for him. And John, uh, Bill wouldn't know the punchline. So he, you can see him reading ahead and start laughing and trying to, you know, and. Oh, I didn't that, know they did that. Yeah, that's that he would uh, try. He would like save the best jokes for the live show. But I know that one of the things that at least Lauren in particular seemed to not want was, you know, obviously if something goes wrong, it's fine, but not intentional, like ad-libbing or trying to make each other laugh. Cause he was always like, this is well, no, you breaking, breaking character. Yeah. And, and, um, you don't want to do that. We're not the Carol Burnett show. We don't, yeah. you know. uh, but when you break character, the sketch is over. It, now it's no longer about what's the story of the sketch. It's about people, the actors trying not to laugh. Yeah. And so it ruins the sketch, you know? And so, uh, w one time what happened to us, we were doing, uh, or Nora Dunn was doing this character, Pat Stevens, and she was interviewing, uh, it was Phil and Kevin Neal and I, Tarzan Tonto and Frankenstein. Right. So the idea is just, you know, absurd and funny. So, but anyway, we're doing the sketch and then Phil as Frankenstein also, he goes, <laughs> and we're like, what? And then about 15 seconds later, he just loses it. And he's just laughing hysterically crying. So then you can't not laugh because you're like, what's going on? And then you're like, and he won't stop. And then I'm like, you know, this trying to my arm and my face and I laughed and and we're all just like dying but phil just stopped so after the sketch i said phil what happened because nothing had happened i go what happened what was so funny and he said well i was just thinking how ridiculous the sketch was and it made me laugh <laughs> and then i stopped laughing and then i, th I thought of all the people watching the show at home sing me sing frankenstein laugh like that and i just made that made me laugh i just lost it <laughs> and then on monday lauren goes oh i'm all right well that happens you know now if i had done that I, he probably would have said do it again you're fired you know but phil did it and he's okay <laughs> so uh over the 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 few years that you're on obviously you uh hone some great recurring characters we talked about master thespian uh, when you would do them with John Lithgow, that would probably just me personally as a fan. Uh, those were always that back and forth was always the most fun of them. Yeah, the first time I wrote the sketch, I was supposed to do it with uh, 
Bronson Pinchot, and then and then and then we rehearse all week, and then that's undressed. And then I remember Lauren goes, "Um, Bronson doesn't want to do the sketch. He thinks it's a high school sketch." I'm like, "Fuck him!" No, it isn't. <laughs> Fuck you, Balky. <laughs> so, yeah. So then the next week, and then Lauren goes, like, "What do you do with the uh, John Lithgow?" And I'm like, "Oh, it's good enough for John Lithgow, you know." Yeah. <laughs> and I think Lauren, one time it's he goes, "Don't worry about it. John Lithgow will be better with it." So I did it with him the first time, and it was great. Then. And I remember thinking, John's great actor, of course, the nicest guy in the world. The first time we did it, you know, it's a, it's a certain style. He didn't, he got it pretty close. I don't know if he totally, but he did. But the second time, it was like he totally got it. We were totally equal. And then we did it. We're, he came back to host a third time. I go, do you want to do it again? He goes, I, go, you, I go, you don't have to. He goes, no, I'd love to. The third time we did it, I thought he went not. I go, he's way, he's doing it better than me. <laughs> you know what I mean? He didn't, yeah. You know, it's a new. Th you, you're trying to explain it, you know. And of course, he was great all three times, but I noticed he was a little behind. But the second, toward, toward, and then the third, he was just like, he just went yeah. nuts. And that was this. And then he, they did Third Rock from the Sun. His character is Baudelaire, and I went up, to, and that's what he was doing on that show. And I went, they stole the characters, and I went up to, I go, hey, Third Rock from the Sun, nice Baudelaire. He goes, yeah, right. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, it was interesting that, uh, you know, it seemed like Tom Hanks would guest host every year because he had recurring characters too. He had Mr. Short-Term Memory, but then also the one that he would do with you, which I don't know what it was called, but the two guys who were always down on their luck, you know, it was like a girl. Yeah, Robert Smigel wrote it. Girl, I think it was called uh, Girl Watchers. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, it was and always Robert, a lot of yeah, like, Robert, hello Robert, okay. and yeah, goodbye. Robert goes, like, hello, goodbye, hello. <laughs> Good. And the girl by hell. Hello. Goodbye. Wouldn't give me the time of day. <laughs> then Tom was like, this head is way too big for this body. <laughs> and I go, and these eyebrows come together in a most unappealing way. And that was a fun sketch to do. Yeah, Tom was a great host. Yeah, I, I mean, obviously, show, you know, when I got with the, the show, get this. When I got the show, Al Franken says to me, because, you know, John, you were everything we didn't want in one person. I go, oh, thanks. <laughs> Jesus. A lot. I go, what do you, I go, but you were funny. I go, what do you mean? He goes, well, you know, we wanted like a, like a Tom Hanks kind of guy. Like, a, you know. thank well, you. I think I also heard you, uh, I, I can't remember where it was, but uh, there, I think was an interview where you talked about it there. It was when you were on with Carvey and Spade on their podcast. You talked about how there was a producer who said, all these people are going to break out from the show. Saying Dinah Miner. Yeah, but not I'm you. Close friends with Dinah. She yeah. Goes, yeah, my first, she goes, here's who we think are going to become the big breakout stars. And she mentions like five people, not me. She mentions <laughs> five people. And I look at her, I go, you know, I'm on the show, right? <laughs> You're saying like you're you're basically not you. Of course, yeah. I was no, but I would it's completely unknown. You know, I wasn't saying like I'm going to break up, but what you you know, you, it's kind of rude. Like, well, not we think these five, not you. Like, I go hello, I'm in the cast too. You know, like it's kind of rude. Yeah. And then I yet always, I always tease her about it, and she laughs. She and laughs. then yet you were the one in that in that. Yeah. That season finale where everybody is left to die in the fire, Lauren says, uh, no, love, let's go wait in my limo, you know? So it was like- Well, yeah, what happened was the show was just getting slammed so much that they go, let's just slam ourselves. So they wrote that sketch. 
I didn't write it. I didn't, you know. And on a Thursday, I remember rehearsing, and Terry Sweeney was really mad. And I said, well, Terry, I go, there's no fire. It's not real. <laughs> it's just a sketch. And then the next day I thought about it, and I go, well, what if you were going to, like, be put in there? And, and, would you, and I go, oh. you know, so I went up to him and I go, I get it now. I, go, I, I get why you're upset. Yeah. I had nothing to, nothing to do with it. I mean, I did not know if I was going to be hired back. Yeah, no, I mean, and, I had no idea. We, and I, I remember in the summer, I go, am I, I going to be hired back? He goes, yes. I go, well, I don't know. You guys don't say anything. They always, they always kept everything. And so, so vague and, and, and kept you guessing. Remember like 30 years later, Harish, so Sands, what's it like? It's like auditioning every, or Bobby Monahan. It's like auditioning every week. You never know if you have the job. I go, oh, it's the same. Yeah, no, I mean, they, it's. They keep it, everything vague. They don't let you know. They don't, you're always like on edge and they're going to hire me back. And they're not gonna, I don't know. Yeah, no. And it's like, if you look at people who, you know, only have the one year or partial year, like, you know, Louis CK was a writer there. He felt like it never worked for him, you know, and yet, uh, obviously. Oh, was know, he? I didn't know that. Yeah, it was like one year. And then you have people who just don't gel in the cast. Like I, when you were on, like Ben Stiller was on for like three weeks or something. Right. And then. Uh, Six weeks. He didn't get fired. He quit. Right. Okay. So, but then, you know, years. I remember Mike Myers got on the show and he couldn't get stuff on. And he came to my office. He goes, how do I get stuff on the show? I said, Mike, listen to me. Quit. Don't quit telling your ideas to like Jim Downey or Al Franken. I go, don't tell them. I go, they're just going to knock it down. Yeah. I'm telling you, just, just write something that you think is funny and then do it at read through. Don't tell anybody. Don't say it at the meeting because people have good, they have good, but I remember saying, don't quit asking them. I go, they're just going to go, no, no, no. Just write what you think is fine. Because at the meeting, everyone's short-term memory is really good. So if you say, I have an idea for a sketch, and then you give the, like the joke of it, at read-through two days later, no one's laughing because they rem as soon as you say it, they go, oh, I remember that. So they already know what the joke's going to be. They don't laugh. So you end up just saying stuff. Oh, I'm writing a sketch about a fish in a, in a, in a cat. <laughs> right. And then you don't write that at all. Right. You write something else. You don't give yeah. it away at the Monday meeting. What are you working on? I'm working. One time Lauren got really mad at me because the he goes, oh, John, what do you got? I go, I got nothing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't. I didn't have any ideas. Right. <laughs> I really uh, didn't. I didn't know what to say. I got nothing. Yeah. Uh, so obviously there were, uh, the, you, you had a number of uh, characters that you would get to do. Some of them were on more than others. Uh, some of the, some of them that I think always made me laugh were. Oh, wait, uh, you want to hear another funny one? Yeah, absolutely. So after a while they started writing sketches of it. Everything was like, it was only I'm Jewish. I go, you guys, I can play other things. Other, you know, that. And then it was only, it was always like, you know, you're an idiot. You're, you know, you're this, you're that. I got so mad that everything was like an idiot and you're, you know, you're stupid and you're Jewish and you're dumb. And I said, you know, just so, and I, I think they did that to Pete Davidson, which he goes, it's like, they're just making fun of me. I don't want to be here, you know? So it's kind of like that. Cause they get jealous when you're super funny. They're very weird. The writers are, were very competitive against the cast. So when Lauren goes, do you have any ideas? I go, yeah, yeah, I have an idea for a sketch. Yeah, okay, there's me, and on my shoulder there's a bucket, 
and it's full of shit. And everyone's like, got a guess. It's a game show. What's the difference between John and the bucket of shit? It's the, it's the fucking bucket. <laughs> and no one laughed. And I look at Phil. Was I was so mad. Phil was crying laughing. <laughs> he was crying. Because he's so mad I was. Oh. <laughs> I was not in that meeting. And everyone would say all their ideas and go, anyone else? And I go, wait, wait, wait. Lauren go, yes. I go, what are your, Lauren, I go, what are your ideas? <laughs> you know, and Dane would go like, what are you doing, you idiot? Like, it's not going to help you to. Yeah, to, to make the boss mad. <laughs> uh, a couple of. That's uh, what we are. You know, we're a comedian. What are you yeah, doing? Right, they're there to make people what laugh. Your ideas. Yeah. Now, and uh, I, would I wanted say to. That they wouldn't pay us to write on the show. And Lauren was, yeah. you know, writer on the highest paid writer on the show. He never wrote anything. Yeah. So I was like, oh, well, <laughs> all right. What are your ideas? You know, that doesn't help. Yeah. So it, when you would develop characters that were at least recurring, you know, I, I always liked Frenchie because uh, he was supposed to be so unlikable. Yeah. And, uh, an annoying After man. I did it. Dennis Miller goes, hey, love it. You know, uh, uh, my wife's you know, father thinks you're hysterical, but he goes, that Frenchie thing, what was that? That's the worst thing I ever saw. So I never <laughs> so, did it again. I like, oh. That sounds like Dennis. Ah. And, and the thing is, well, his, I'm sure his father did that. But I was, that was my attempt at um, anti-humor. Right. Like, in other words, like what David Letterman kind of humor would do. I was trying to do that. Like it was just stupid, you know, and also make fun of the French because they, you know, so it was like everything was like, well, you know, I had on a, I did every, I had on a beret and a curly Q mustache yeah. shirt from France. And hello, my name is Frenchie. I'm from France, you know. Like no shit. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember. And was like just you know very charming and just say the most horrible stuff. Yeah, and then he's like, "Everything good, good." Yeah, everything good, good. Anyway, today I was in a. I went uh, the other day. I was in a picnic in Alaska, beautiful country, beautiful, and um, had a lovely picnic and some chicken and wine, and then I clubbed a baby seal to death, and then what? Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to offend anyone. It's just that, uh, well, you know, I was minding my own business and the baby seal came up and bit me on the toe for no reason at all, you know. But don't feel bad. He put up quite a fight. I'm Frenchy. Everything good? Good. You know, being I'm French, you know, they, they could be very rude, you know. Or, yeah, uh, of course. Anyway. And I can't believe so, that was only you know, on once because like, I, rem you know, I remember it so well. I can't believe it one time. You know. Yeah. What I'm sorry, did I offend anyone? <laughs> well, I'm just saying, if they were superior, why are they always the ones fighting for their rights? Hmm? Yeah. I'm well, thinking. as as funny as Dennis is, you know, he he would be wrong a couple of times because he's talked to Carvey about how you know he thought that his grumpy old man character was gonna eat shit, and he was like, and Carvey was like, oh yeah, watch, and you know, yeah, that just, one. I mean, they, that Robert Robert, it was for we did it together, Dane and I, the first time. We went ahead the next time he's doing long. I go, what happened to me? That's what I want. I go, you know, all right, Dane, it's fine. Yeah. But, uh, and then I, I mean, I, I just watching at home, there was one time. Made it up, but he and Robert uh, wrote it. Yeah. But we there did was one it time in, the first time. It was fun. 
in in Sandler's first season, I don't even remember what the character was, but he did one of those features on Weekend Update. And he does a whole thing, and you know, Adam stuff was always weird and a little out there. And he's done, and Dennis just looks in the camera and goes, "Too long." And this is on the live show because I saw it at home. This wasn't like in a rehearsal. And you're like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> no, well, Dennis was very territorial about yeah update. So you'd go on to rehearse the thing. Goes, do you have to? Re- do you have to really read this? I go, Dennis. It's part of the show. Can you just let me read it once? Yes. Uh, by the way, I love Dennis. Yeah, of course, I do too. He's my friend. But the show yeah. is so competitive, you know. Yeah. Like, come on, because he. But he felt like this was the only thing he got to do. So yeah. when other people come in, he's like, "Jesus, I got to share it with him." <laughs> you have to read. I go, "Yeah, I need to go through it, Dennis. It's going to be on the show. The cards. I got to make sure they're right." Thank you. Can I just do it once? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to rehearse my bit. That's going to be on the show. This is rehearsal. Mm. Yeah. So. Yeah, and I mean that was Dennis was always he's all he could be you know he was also very supportive. We were very close friends, and at one time I was doing Annoying Man, and then he goes, "Yeah," and I was like eating chocolate or something. He goes, "I can't tell where Annoying Man starts, Love It stops." <laughs> something like that. Love It stops, and Annoying Man starts. And then I licked him on the face, and I started laughing because he had a big chocolate mark on his face, <laughs> and he didn't know. Yeah, I mean it's interesting because that they, you know, when when just one person's doing updated, they basically have fifteen to twenty minutes carved out, and then you know you, have, you bring the the characters yeah, and, in. And, and also Dana would always point out because you know it's all the hit characters are directly the camera. Yeah, that's why everyone back then we go, oh, let's do talk shows, talk shows. So you know, I came up with Harvey Firestein, and then I, you know, and 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 then he Harvey complained about it. Oh, I didn't. I didn't realize that. Yeah, I remember he he had a uh, a talk show called Plug yeah, Away yeah. that was designed to just have the plugs. He would just be like, "Plug away." Yeah. Well. Yeah. I'm so, welcome to my talk show. Plug away. <laughs> so, uh, and yeah, well, that under- also referred to something else. <laughs> it might have. My so my no, understanding it- is that you didn't want to leave. SNL, but then you know by that point you'd already done League of Their Own and and some other movies. No, no, and- no, what, no. I hadn't done it. What happened was, I was my first year. The liar character being, became big, and I was supposed to do a movie of that, and it fell through. I was supposed to do it with Lauren, and the whole thing, for whatever reasons, it, it didn't happen, and it was right. very disappointing. So now five years later, I got a chance to do another movie, uh, Mom and Dad Saved the World. So I was going to do that. And League of Their Own, and then that summer, and then come back to the show. So that was going to be like, all right, I'm on the show with movies out. Right. It'll be great. And then Mom and Dad, League of Their Own didn't happen that summer. And then Mom and Dad saved the world. They go, oh, you got to miss, we can't work around your show schedule. He said, well, I'm not leaving the show. And then, and then I, but I went to Lauren, I go, can you let me miss like two shows? They wanted, they, they offered me to kind of come back for two years. So they go, he goes, no, you can't miss shows. I go, Lauren, I don't want to miss shows, but they won't work around it. He goes, well, you can go walk, fly back and forth like Belushi and Chevy or Dan. I go, I'm happy to do that, I said. They won't do it. Yeah. And I go, look, I didn't get to do this. Can you please just let me? I go, I'll make them up. Add them on the end. Don't pay me. I said to my manager, I'll sign up for another five years. I go, this is, let me. So they go, well, he, Lauren said you could miss shows. The following year, I go, but I have this now. Yeah, and I was so mad. 
And then they called me up and said, I didn't want to leave. And I said to Danny Aiello, a good friend, he goes, what do you think? He goes, you got movies. It's got to take the shot. I go, I know. And then they called me and they said, we're going to make these 40-foot statues of whoever plays the part. I'm like, 40-foot statues of me. <laughs> and and then and I thought the script, it was hysterically funny. I thought they wrote it for me, but they hadn't. But I go, this is just so funny. It was very silly. You know, like all my characters, they're all uh, comical, you know, arrogant idiots. And, of course, Dennis goes, Dennis goes, ah, yeah, hello. You're <laughs> idiot. But but it's just the funniest thing, an arrogant idiot. And this is nothing funnier to me. Yeah. So, and that's what, what this character was. He was the head of a planet of idiots, and he was just a moron, but he thought he was brilliant. So, you know, an unaware, arrogant idiot. It, this is the funniest thing to me. So anyway, I was mad. I couldn't miss it, so I left. And yeah. Then, and then I would, and then every time I was in New York, they go, oh, um, Al Franklin go, oh, you're in New York. Can you come and do a sketch? Okay. So I, they kept calling me to come back, you know. And Lauren go, I go, Lauren, how's it going? He goes, oh, John, there's a big gap, meaning me, you know. Right. And then I'd show up for a third time. I go, hey, Lauren, how's the gap? <laughs> <laughs> and 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 I didn't know what to do. I wanted I. And then at one point, Brad goes, you can come back. You want to go back? Oh yeah. And then Dana goes, there's 20 guys in the show. Like you barely get on. I go. I don't. I want to go back to that pressure and the and the. Anyway. Yeah, I mean, by that point, they'd added. Yeah, when they'd added left, like, yeah, yeah. By that, by the end of that season, they'd added like Schneider and Spade and Everybody. Sandler, maybe but even Dennis Tim Meadows. Me. No, yeah. uh, uh, Lauren, my manager called me back and goes, "Um, Lauren called. He wants you to know that it's just a joke. They love you." And I go, "What's just a joke?" <laughs> yeah. Well, you got to watch the show tonight. It's just a joke. They love you. I go, but what's the joke? He goes, I didn't say. So, hold on my phone. So, I'm watching the show, and it's the cold opening, and it's Dennis and Lauren. And Lauren goes, so you're really leaving? Yeah. He goes, you're really going to leave the show? He goes, yep, I'm, I'm going, Lauren. And then Lauren goes, you're not going to keep coming back like Lovitz, are you? He's pathetic. Oh. And I went, and of course the audience didn't laugh at the, you know, cause they yeah. liked me and I knew right. they, yeah. so they like me. They're not, and they're just going to go, why are you making fun of one of your own? I was so funny. I, fun. I, I found out Rob Schneider wrote the joke. Of course I could. Freddie he was, I don't know, yeah, you did Rob. <laughs> We're friends. You know, now it's like, you know, no, 30, I know 30 years. But, later. but then of course, it, after, it after was, fuck them. I go, they yeah. keep asking me to come back, and then they say that. Yeah. But then after Dennis so left. One time now, made... can you come do Harry Hanukkah? I'm like, no. <laughs> and then they, I found uh... out they were paying me, like, they go, we'll pay you $5,000, which is a lot of money, just to do that. I go, okay. And then I find out that I have jam back, and they're paying her 10 Oh. <laughs> I was like, you know what? You're going to pay me this. Well, she didn't know. I go, I don't give a shit. You don't do That's not right. So then they go, okay, we'll pay you 10, but if the sketch doesn't get on air, we'll only pay you five. I'm like, no. Yeah. That's, that's not up to me. Now it sounds like a lot of money, you know, your money, but you have to, when we, when we got the show, we're all dead broke. Yeah. Dead broke. 
when I got the show after my first year, I, I, I didn't have any money left. You know. It, yeah, and I mean, I think that you know by. Uh, average everyday people standards, you hear what SNL cast members make a week. It's a lot of money, but by show, you know, by showbiz standards, it's 20 weeks out of the year and Don't it's not yourself. that much. It was a fortune to me when I got the show with they were sure. paying me. Yeah. I had a check for the most I ever had in my bank account was a, believe me, I, 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 I'm very aware. I, I lived on, you know, $600 a month for seven years. So right. they're paying me 3,500 a week, which was like a fortune. Yeah. And, and to me, and I, I remember I was depositing $5,000 in the bank from checks I had. It was so much money that I got nauseated. Because I've only been living month to month yeah. for seven years. So it was just, you know, but in New York was very expensive. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, what I was going to say earlier is, you know, after Dennis left, the year after he was gone, they had Carvey doing a, a cooking show. It was called Cooking with Dennis Miller because, you know, he was how he had his late night show and he was having trouble booking guests. So he was in like a booking war with Jay Leno. So they did a whole sketch about that. He's like, yeah, I can't. Galloping Gourmet is getting all my guests. And, you know, so Carvey's out there making fun of him and at like a brutal time in his career. And it's just like, I guess that's, I guess that's what they do. You know? Robert would go after people when they were suffering. Yeah. Although, although I guess nothing's funnier than. Uh, I mean, in fact, I was in the studio. I got to be honest with you. I was in this, I was there at the show when they, when they did that sketch and I was watching it. Okay. And. I was, I was crying laughing, but I said, I go, this is like the meanest. I just popped in my head. I remember thinking this is the meanest and funniest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> it was so funny, but it was, it was really mean. Right. Agreed. Dennis. <laughs> like if Dennis was upset, I go, well, I would understand why it was really mean. Yeah. But, it, but it was, it was so fun because Dana just sounds exactly like him. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it was too, it was also, it was very mean. It was so inside, you know, a lot of the stuff that nobody would know what it meant unless you knew Dennis and what was going on and knew him really well. It was, so it was, it was below the, it was, uh, it was below the belt. But yeah. that's poverty. I go, it is mean, right? It's super mean. Yeah, but it's funny. I go, I know, but it's mean. <laughs> Well, nothing, nothing tops when uh, Eddie Murphy I'm watching, uh, called, watching it. nothing oh, tops when Eddie Murphy called the offices when uh, Spade had said, oh, look, a falling star. And it was a picture of Eddie Murphy. And uh, I remember yeah, Spade me. talking about it for years. Like Chris Rock would be like, he still hates you. <laughs> I think that they're, they're fine. You go, now, your show, you go, why is the show going after me? I was a part of it. And now they're going after me. Yeah. For I didn't do anything. We would go after people that deserved it. Yeah. And we wouldn't, and they wouldn't go after people that were, uh, down, they would go after jerks that were down, you know, that, that were, that were bullies. Yeah. They would go after they, you know. Yeah. And, uh, it was a while before you were, was, was the, were you that on again until Carson, when they did Carcino, that was Robert again, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah, that that uh, Johnny didn't 
the the Carcinio one bothered him when when Dana and Phil. But in Robert's gi- mind, he's like, no, these guys are giant. Who am I? I'm nobody. What's yeah. the big deal? But it's it's it mean. It's funny, but it's mean. Right. Yeah. Which and I, I guess- thought Carcinio. Was- I thought, I thought Carcinio was pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> so did you uh, not really do anything for a while? Like I know you guest hosted. I was actually, I, I was an, I was an intern when you guest hosted. So I was at the dress rehearsal for that one. You did, it was like 2000, uh, no, sorry, 1997. Right. Of like, Saturday Night Live. Yeah. I think you guest hosted in like 97. Yeah. Yeah. So, but. Ha- no, I was so, doing you, movies. I, and, but yeah. Lauren was mad at me for leaving. Right. And I'm like, but everybody left. Yeah, right. The Demarchi Klein, but everybody left. Yeah, but you were first. I go. <laughs> yeah, and you know, you you I had guys who were on for. I'll sign up for five more years. Right, you would have. Let me just miss two. The next year after me, that Mike Myers, you know, Austin Powers coming, so they let him miss ten shows. Yeah. Yeah, I mean. You know, some guys stick around. I know Tim. But, I, was but there also, for- if you Lawrence said, "Would you understand why I didn't want you to miss shows?" Now I'd go, "Yeah, I get it. The show, yeah, yeah. now, yeah, because I go, yeah, I'm getting the movies because of the show. So right. in retrospect, if I, if the same thing happened, I would say the producer called Lauren and work it out about, you know, I do I think it was a mistake that I left? Yes, I do. Interesting. Because, uh, uh, but it's it's not like you didn't make plenty of good stuff after that, but you would have liked to have had them work it out where you could have done both is what you're saying. You know, you. Yeah. I, I, I think, I think it, in retrospect, I think it was a mistake. Yeah. But also, so, he goes, maybe I should have let him. In. Oh no. In fact, when I went back in this year, he goes, I go, Lauren, he goes, there's a gap. I go, well, you wouldn't let me miss shows. He goes, oh, you could have missed shows. Like, right, but he he had he said, said that the opposite. What? I said, Lauren, <laughs> if I could have missed shows, I'd be here. Yeah. Do you uh do you think you would have been like I know Tim Meadows was on for 12 years and now Keenan's been on, I think literally I'm not exaggerating. I've been, been, been on for 10. Yeah, Keenan's been on for 20. More. Yeah, right, exactly. I didn't want to leave. In fact, he was mad at me before that, and then he goes, let's just do these shows. And it's, he's really mad. I don't know. And then, and the next day, Bernie goes, I talked to him. He's, everything's fine. I go, no, he's really mad. No, everything's fine. I go, what? Then I saw him next morning. He goes, John, you want to ride with Paul Simon? He's going back to LA in the water jet. I go, sure. I go, I thought you were mad at me. No, 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 no. I go, all right. Because everything's fine. I go, okay. Because it was uncomfortable for the, that week. And then everything was fine. I felt weird. And then I, I was doing the show. And I remember sitting there going, oh, man, this is, I am so happy. This is the best. I know how to do the show. A lot of guys, you know, even they every time I went on, I'd throw up. I go, not me. I couldn't wait to get. In fact, when that music started, I go, oh, this is why you know it's so stressful all week because we get to do the show. It was yeah. fun. I wasn't stressed out. I'm a, I want to show off. <laughs> I, I'm like, don't you like acting and doing comedy? This is live TV. This is fucking fun. It would be frustrating if you missed a joke. Cause you couldn't do it again. Yeah. Like, I missed that laugh, you know, but I, I was like, cause I had it after William Shatner, I tried to go, Oh man, I got how to do this. Now this is easy as shit. It became easy for me. Yeah. And then you're easy able because to- I'd done so many. Right. 
Um, I don't want to. I don't want to keep you uh, all day. I do want to. No, I don't have a life. life. What else? <laughs> One of the things I wanted to ask you about, though, is uh, I remembered this really well, and I I looked for it and rewatched it probably for the first time in thirty years on YouTube, which was the Please Watch the John Lovitz Special, which I remembered really well, uh, which was a live show that you did for Fox, right? You and Alan Zweibel did that, Alan's right? Well, yeah. And after I did it, they go, what do you want to do? Do you want to do more? So I go, I want to do a series. Well, we don't want to do a series, but you could do more specials. Well, I don't know. And of course, retrospect, I go, why don't I go, yes. Yeah, right. <laughs> What's wrong with me? You know, I, I don't know why I do that. Yeah, well, yeah, because they're- It was they're a very hard show to do. It was a lot of work, but it was fun. And, and in retrospect, I should have said, yeah, it's too hard to do it every week. Let's do specials, you know. Right. But and then, doing, you know, was, the way networking on SNL is a live show, but a long yeah. sketch, you know, and, and the turnover with network executives, the there could have been somebody, you know, the next person in charge of the network might've been like, yeah, let's do it as a series. But uh, yeah. So doing a live show like that and, you know, having that kind of control and obviously working with, I've, I've talked to Alan Zweibel, obviously, you know, original SNL writer also uh, co-created it's Gary Shandling show. So, uh, that process to put that half hour and I guess it's really 22 minutes, put that live on TV. How much time did you spend leading into that special? A month. Oh, wow. Okay. So, and, uh, there were, uh, there were obviously, you know, some, uh, you know, big name cameos in the audience, uh, Rob Reiner and, and, uh, Ed O'Neill shows up. Well, I was making second. fun of myself because everyone goes, I just do it to get movies. <laughs> so, well, let's just say that you know yeah like just do it I mean, the premise was i'm doing a live play but i have you know directors in the audience with phones on the back of the chairs in front of them so if they see anything they like they can offer me a um, part in their next movie yeah and then of course everybody <laughs> keeps like calling they're offering parts to everybody but me <laughs> everybody else yeah and uh, the there was a what I assume would have been a recurring bit if you had done more the uh, live make roomy myself, you where know. you you make out with Carol Alt. Oh, that part. Yeah, so I feel like that probably would have been something you would have done repeatedly if you had done more of them. You know, pick somebody new, like oh, yeah. you know, live live through me, which live I just thought was great. Me. Yeah, that was. Yeah, it was ridiculous. <laughs> the whole thing was silly. Yeah, and then I had Ed, Ed, I do this. Yeah, it was really it was a fun. Show. The best one of the, well, you know, I, I would do like a, a, a like two lines dramatically, and then get mad and we'll go into the audience, lift up Rob Reiner's so phone, like hello, <laughs> like see that, you know, and and then and then the um we did a spoof of The Godfather, and James Con heard about it, he goes, and I knew him, and he goes, I want to be in it because I'll get Robert Duvall. We had and we had. Uh, 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 Alex Rocco. Alex Rocco, yeah. <laughs> Mo Green. Oh, God. When I saw it, I was so thrilled. And the three of them, I get to spoof The Godfather with three of the guys that were in it. Yeah. <laughs> I was, for me, when, when it, you know, and there's Mo Green's at the table, and I, I roll the dice, and it, it, it hits him in the eye, and he's like, oh, no, not the other eye. And blood <laughs> comes out. And then you catch Robert Duvall and James Conn in the audience high-fiving. <laughs> I was like, this is my favorite part of the show, of the whole that, thing. That, you know, yeah, of that, of course, that was great. Oh, that was like, yeah, they've never done that. And then you'll never see that anywhere else. But no, sure. exactly. And, and so you, you kind of answered my question was that you could have done more of it. Now, if I could, it was so much fun. 
Yeah. But uh, so I, I didn't realize that that was why more didn't happen was just you, you wanted to Me. do. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, not too long after that, I think that something that obviously was well suited to you was The Critic. And The Critic was one of those, one of the first shows that sort of also then had like a second life on the internet, but it was like before there was money in that. Cause like, I remember it ended on Fox and then it was like, well, now there's new episodes on the internet and that didn't last for that well, long. Well, Gene and Mike Reese were running the Simpsons and I did like four Simpsons and then a league of their own came out. It was a big hit. Yeah. And then Jim Brooks, he goes, he called me like seven months later. He goes, listen, I have a deal at ABC 24 on the air, 24 on the air to do a live sitcom. I want to do this with you. I don't know. What's <laughs> wrong but there was no script and they explained it to me. I go, well, this sounds great, but you're asking me to commit to five years to an idea. And can I, I go, can I, I go, can I read a script? He goes, well, we're not going to audition for you. I said, well, I'm not asking you to audition. I'm sure you're great, but I don't know if what they're, you, that you're describing in your, is in your head is the same as what I'm picturing yeah. in my head. I go, there's no script you don't have a pilot a script and that so i left and then uh al gene said jim brooks says you better write a script and then about a few months later they go we have a script but we want to do it animated now oh, oh all right so i read it and i in my living room here and i i laughed out loud 10 times it was so funny but now you think of it you go what a luxurious position to be in to go i'm gonna pick and choose what i want to do <laughs> right now that's gone yeah. You don't realize it because you think it's going to last forever. Well, I'll do this. You know, I'll be an artist. I don't know whatever an artist, you know, but you want to do, it's still acting. It's, it's hard to do stuff for me if I'm not enthusiastic about it. I just can't do it. I don't yeah, know. That, I just, that makes sense. This acting, it, it's like, it means something to me. You know, it's like, I got to be enthusiastic. Oh, I want to do this, you know? Yeah. You know, some stuff you do for the money, like commercials. Yes. <laughs> even then i go can we make it funny no i go well then i don't know i don't want to do it if it is it funny if it's funny you know and um you know so i'm not it's not like you don't do nothing for money and then stand up you know it's great you get to write and perform your own material you can do as much as you want you can make a good living and so all, all those things come in you know when you're a professional something all those things come into play they go well don't you want to do it for the love of the art and the free you go i did that i did it for 13 years no, I don't want to just do it for free anymore. I did it. You know? Yeah. And I, and I got lucky enough to get work. Do you want to do it again for free? No. <laughs> and you you started uh, doing stand-up, you know, much later on. I mean, I remember you know, seeing you a couple of different times. Uh, I think uh, one of the times you did something at a casino, you know, out on the way to Vegas. It was, I think it was you, Carvey, Dennis, maybe and oh, Spade too. It. I hosted it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, but so even that was like 15 years ago. So I kind of remember that it was like you were new to stand up at that point. But that, yeah, so that's, yet. yeah, that was about the time you started, right? Years of doing that, hosting and learning. And yeah. And then, and then I would, uh, I would host shows. It would be like Kevin Nealon and uh, Victoria Jackson and Norm McDonald. I did that. Then I started opening for Norm. Then I co headlined with Norm. And then I went on my own, finally. Right. 
And uh, yeah, I, I just uh, about a month ago, I just missed you in Vegas. I, I got a, I saw a big smiling John Lovett's billboard and I'm like, oh, when's John in town? And it's like, he's already left. So, uh, well, I was, I was supposed to be there a few weeks ago. I got, I got sick. Oh, okay. I'll be back. It's a year round thing. It's a residency. So I can do it whenever I want. And that's at the Laugh, Tropicana? Laugh Factory, the Tropicana, yeah. The Laugh Factory at the Tropicana, yeah. Uh, yeah, so that's, and, uh, but so do you, uh, do you have anything, uh, coming up standup wise that uh, we should let the people know to keep an eye out for you? Yeah. Well, yeah. As a matter of fact, I do. And of course you can go to at real John Lovitz on Twitter and, uh, keep in, keep tabs on you there, uh, for, for any upcoming dates. And, uh, I, I I'm assume I can tell you. Yeah. Well, that's all right. I'm, I'm just vamping while you, uh, look them up. And I assume you're still on Cameo, correct? Yes, I've been off for a little bit because I got I've been sick, but I'm better now. All right. And uh, so if if anybody wants to get me a cameo for the 500th episode of the Blackcast, ask John to do two minutes as Frenchie, uh, and uh, whatever he charges, I'll double it. <laughs> This isn't right. Oh, here we go. September 9th and 10th, I'll be at the Irvine Improv. I'm just doing one show each night. Okay. That's all they had. But they're <laughs> going to bring me back in the summer. And then September 29th to October 1st, I'll be at the Comic Strip in El Paso, Texas for four shows. And then October 6th to 8th, I'll be at the Blue Room in Springfield, Missouri. And then October 20th to 23rd, I'll be Milwaukee Improv in Brookfield, Wisconsin. And then November 4th to 6th, I'll be at the, uh, the Improv in West Palm Beach, West Palm Beach Improv. And then I'll be at the Chicago Improv in Schaumburg, Illinois, summer, November 10th to 12th. Oh, so I go right from West Palm Beach to Chicago. Interesting. Pack a jacket, John. And then I'll be in <laughs> Summit City Comedy Club in Fort Wayne, Indiana, December 8th to 10th. And then, well, right now, I don't have a lot booked next year. June 8th. Oh, that's all right. It's it's only yeah. August as we're yeah, talking right now. Uh, Niagara Casino in Niagara Falls next year. 2023 will take care of itself. Then uh, Tuesday, we're going to start shooting new episodes of the game show I do, Funny You Should Ask, which is just telling jokes. Right. And oh, then, yeah. And that, and you've been doing that for a while, right? The bathroom. What's the date today? When we're talking today, it's August 26th. The 26th. It's my yeah. dad's birthday. God bless him. Happy birthday, Mr. Lovitz. Dr. Lovitz. <laughs> to you, doctor. <laughs> uh, damn it. I, uh, I, I, and then I'll be doing the, uh, I'll be going to the bathroom. Momentarily. August 26th. No, I hope you, later. not right no, now. No, it'll be later. I, I hope you haven't during the last hour and 26 minutes because I haven't seen you leave. So, uh, hopefully you've uh, been able to, Hold you it ever in. Talk to you a little with um, Rex Harrison. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so they had a llama that was like 
attached in the middle, but a two-headed llama facing both directions. And that always reminded me of going to the bathroom. It's called a push me, pull you. <laughs> push me, pull you. <laughs> right? Well, Beth, I have to go make a push me, pull you. Well, we'll let you uh, push and very pull. mature. <laughs> but that's what that's what we wanted from you. Maturity, pushing, pulling. I watch, you know, L Laurel and ha Hardy now, and I didn't get it when I was a kid. Now I just think they're hysterical because I realized it's two grown men acting like they're eight. <laughs> yeah, I think that's that's fair. That's that's uh, I I assume that's basically the same appeal of the Three Stooges as well. You and then know? Oliver Hardy looks at the camera like he, Laurel Laurel does, and Oliver Hardy just looks at those. Phil Hartman, you, I would do stuff and he would look at me like that. Just look at me and go. And I would, <laughs> crying, laughing. I would just be dying. Because I would say something to go. <laughs> well, Phil is the nicest, funniest guy. I miss him every day. Just the best. Yeah. I mean, obviously. He was so talented, but he was. Of course he was. More talented than they He could do every, anything. Yeah. No, he was great on the show. I mean, you talked about the number artist. of times. He was a professional, you know, graphic designer. If you see America's be uh, Best, his brother was, John was a big music manager. So Phil did the album covers for uh, Poco and America's Greatest Hits, the Crosby, Stills, and Nash logo. He was like yeah. that. He was a pilot. He was a professional sailor, professional. I mean, everything. But but the, beyond all that, he was the nicest guy. So nice. He's the only guy that I've ever seen in the groups of people that everybody loved. Didn't have any problems with anything. From the Growlings to Saturday Night Live to News Radio, everybody loved Phil. The best. Yeah, and you know, you mentioned how you had done a, a few episodes of The Simpsons before you did The Critic, and obviously he had like two like great recurring characters on that show. He had Troy McClure and Lionel Hutz, the lawyer, and he was they were in so many episodes, uh, you know, and it was like on top of everything on SNL, and he'd been on for an incredibly long time on that show. You know, that was a lot of the writers that were on SNL went over to The Simpsons. They're right. all Harvard Lampoon. Someone goes, "How can I be a writer on at SNL?" I go, "Go to Harvard." It's it's funny that you say that because uh, I I yeah I had no idea of that until lo long after I was already in college. I'm like, wait a minute, I needed to be smart to be a comedy writer. I'm like, well, that was never going to work out for me, was it? Well, I mean, I went to Harvard, Harvard High School, <laughs> Harvard Westlake here in LA. Yeah, but I got all these uh, Harvard guys writing for me. <laughs> That's true. So who's smart? Er. Yeah. No, I remember the year that I was smart, an intern. There was smart. -er. Yeah, there was like one of the writers had like gone to Duke, and you're like, oh, that was that was what they considered to be like, you know, all of their like safety school. But I guess they they thought he was funny anyway, you know, because everybody else had pretty much you know gone to Harvard, and uh, obviously Conan being the, uh, the you want to hear the weird thing? Most comedy writers, and even the they're not funny. You mean conversationally they're not funny or 
not funny personalities, not yeah. witty, you know, just yeah. not funny. Not yeah. very nice, very nice, very smart, not funny. I mean, I I have a, a I have a friend. And you look at it like science. They're like, you go, what do you? He goes, this joke funny. You tell them, they go, they don't laugh. They go, yeah, that's good. Maybe you could say this. Yeah, I think they're mathematicians. They don't they don't think they don't laugh. Yeah, they're yeah. I have funny. a I have a friend who wrote for years on a sitcom that was on a network, and I was just like this person has never even come close to making me laugh once, but right. they've had produced half hours of television where there's a lot of laughs. So it somehow. Exceptions. It, John, John Frank, you know, he's perfect. They were, Jay Kogan was in the groundlings and, and he, he named two characters after people in the groundlings, professor Hibbert and professor Frank. Hibbert is Steve Hibbert. who was in the, in the groundlings. And is also the gimp in Quentin Tarantino. In Pulp uh, Fiction. Yeah, that's Steve. <laughs> and then John Frank was in the Groundlings, and and then I helped him get on the show. So I submitted his. He had a writing partner to Al. I did get you know to Al Jean, and Al hired him. And John's still there. You know, it's his work, but I got him. Uh, got him right. And John's funny, but John was a performer in the Groundlings. Yeah, well, and he's yeah. actually funny, but most most most. Uh, Al and Mike are really nice, but they're not, and really smart, but they're not funny. <laughs> yeah. Not. No, I know. And it's interesting, it's you know, all the talk about the, the Simpsons, I was just sort of thinking about. They're funny you know, like, writers, but they're not yeah. funny people. They're just not. When you think about, you know, gigs Which that I come along, acting jobs that come along, when you think about the the Simpsons, you think about you know, all of them, but you, know, you think about, you know, Julie Kavner who had been on Rhoda and then it's like, she's on that Tracy Ullman show. And it's like, Oh, you're going to do these little short animated cartoons as part of that job in 1987. And then, you know, like 35 years later, she's like still doing that voice, you know, it's like, yeah. <laughs> and they're so. funny. She's funny. Dan Castle. And that is really funny. Of course, Hank Azaria is funny. You know, but, yeah. But, uh, yeah. you know, when they do the Simpsons, uh, and if they're there, I used to do, um, I go, Hey, you guys have an idea. So we'll, let's do a thing where we're having sex. And then we'll, we'll tell Al, Al, we have a great idea. <laughs> and then, and then we do it. And I'm like crying because they're doing the voices, you know, of Homer and Marge and me, Artie Ziff having a three way. <laughs> They go, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're gonna do it. They go, yeah, yeah, yeah. So then we go, Al, Al, we have an idea. And then we do it for him, and he gets he gets so flustered. <laughs> did uh, did he you do a miracle? You know, to hear those voices. Marty, mm, you're so big. Hey, what about this? Oh. <laughs> uh, when and they're hysterical. It's so funny. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's interesting because when I think about animation, I think about how now a lot of times Very you know, and childish, but it's hysterical. Yeah. But a, a lot of animation, the way that I understand, I have a friend who has worked on American dad for a long time and he talks about how, you know, they're, I don't they're, recognize other cartoons, but go but, on. But there's, they're, they're picked up for another season. So there's room for you. If uh, they had, the I'm right not on it, it's no good. 
it's no good. But when he's, you know, they don't seem to, you know, even pre COVID, it's all like, you know, remote hookups and people have microphones in their house and stuff like that. But did you do Simpsons and critic like uh, with the other cast around or was yeah, it? Yeah, it was uh, fine. It was oh, at the wow. Fox lot. And um, there's a theater that called the Daryl F. Zanuck theater. And Daryl F. Zanuck was, you know, one of the, the heads of the studio for years, you know, legendary guy. Right. Anyway, they named the theater after him. And then, and then in the basement, there was another room where they would do sound editing and that's where they would record the Simpsons. So they, so everybody would be there and there'd be couches and there'd be tables of food. And then there'd be like a ping pong table. And then every, you would do your scene. Then you'd wait till they're ready and you'd, you'd, you'd fall asleep on the couch and take a nap. <laughs> and it was just one day. And it was really fun. And then they would do the critic in there too, you know. And one time I'd done this movie, Trapped in Paradise, a Fox movie. It was me and uh, Nicholas Cage and me and Dana Carvey. So they were editing it in the Daryl F. Zanuck Theater, the movie. And I was downstairs recording the critic. So I was very pleased. <laughs> no, uh, I was thrilled. I was like, oh man. So I made up a song. I'm upstairs. I'm downstairs. I am the whole building. Delete me. <laughs> you know, and um it was uh it was uh that probably like the pinnacle of my career, but it was to to have a whole building working on John Lovett's project. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, it was I was yeah, it's pretty amazing. It's so hard. People don't understand how hard it is to get in and get yeah. work. Other actors do, actors do, but the people that do it, but otherwise they don't understand. The, the, the work you have to put in for years with no guarantee and, and the stress and the, and the shit you take from everybody. And who do you think you are? Even from my parents, you know, everybody, what are you doing? <laughs> You're wasting your life, you know, and, and it's just, you know, they don't understand. So when it happens, you just, I mean, when I got Saturday Night Live, I could not say Saturday Night Live for the whole five years I was on it. I wasn't nervous during the show, but they go, what are you doing? I go, I'm on Saturday Night Live. I'm on Saturday Night yeah, I couldn't say it. Then, as soon as I got off the show, I was on Saturday Night Live. Right. I literally, it was just I couldn't believe it. So I was always thrilled when I got a job. I never. The reason I saying this, I I never took a job for granted. And I was just like, you know, <laughs> right? Yeah, just uh, be happy to be there. Uh, you know, you mentioned the film Trapped in Paradise, which I think obviously one China named Trapped in Shit. <laughs> well, that's what I was going to say is I know that uh, that you weren't a fan of that movie, but it does seem to have like a like a cult following in the years. Well, since. because the director, I don't even say his name, he just lied about everything. And he, sure. did, he did, said, I'm as good a director as Martin Scorsese and Francis Ford Coppola. And I said to George Gallo. Don't you think other people should say that? And they were on the set and all he would say is do whatever you want, do whatever you want. And everything, we would improvise a lot and then he didn't put any of it in the movie. Oh. 
None of it. I go, what do you? He goes, you'll be able to. He goes, you'll. Uh, he'd say, oh, you can come in the editing room and pick, see what you help and what you like and stuff. And I go, when can I come in? Not now, not now. And then it never happened. And I go, you just lied. He goes, I lied. <laughs> like nothing. I go, you know what? And and it was very, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, disappointing. You know. Yeah. But he wouldn't direct. He just his direction: well, do whatever you want. Yeah. No direction. I and I guess directing isn't isn't for everyone. I mean, years ago, I heard Carrie Fisher talk about George Lucas directing the first Star Wars. And after a take, he would just say faster, more intense. And that was really like that was it. She had shirts made up that said that because that was how he directed Star Wars was like, no, no, faster, more intense. And that was like, what are we supposed to do with that? You know, and when you're Harrison Ford, you can kind of figure it out. But you, know, you have a lot of other actors on that Star Wars set. Well, a lot of, most look at movie act. You have you, what you really have to learn is you really have to learn how to direct yourself. Right. You have to know how to make a scene work. That's your job. And most of the time, the directors don't know. They they'll they know how to set set up a shot what they want it to look like. But, and they'll go, well, what do you want to do? You know, and you work it out. Oh, that's good, you know. But it, the only directors that usually know what to do, how to make, talk to actors and make the scene work are other, are directors that were actors, like Penny Marshall, Rob Reiner, Woody Allen, uh, guys like that. Now, there's a yeah. few that are, that do know which are the great directors, you know, like Steven Spielberg or Martin Scorsese. I did a, a voiceover in a cartoon in a, a American Tale, Five Goes West and Steven Spielberg. A year later, they wanted to reshoot. I go, I don't remember what I did. These voices, they go, well, you're going to document it. I go, I don't know. I don't. Well, and my, look, he's only doing it with two people. He only wants two people to be there. He goes, it's you and Jimmy Stewart. And went, oh, wow. Oh, and then I get there and I said, do you have the Steven Spielberg? And I go, hey, can you introduce me to Jimmy Stewart? And goes, so Jimmy Stewart comes out of the booth. He goes, John Lovitz, this is Jimmy Stewart. And I go, oh, nice to meet you. I'm such a big fan. Well, I, was, I am a huge fan of this. He goes, oh. He goes, he's doing it. He goes back in the booth and Steven Spielberg goes, can you believe it? No, no. I said, and I said, I can't believe it. He goes, I know, Jimmy Stewart. I go, no, no, I can't believe you just introduced Steven Bilberg just introduced me to him, Jimmy Stewart. I'm just looking at both of them going. And then I didn't remember the voice. I go, do you have any recording of the voice? They didn't have it. Oh, and I remember what I did. Cause I did it one day. It was a year ago and I made up some voice over a year. I didn't remember. But anyway, Steven Spielberg was nice. And he goes, well, that's kind of like this. And this. Then we go down this scene. You do this. And, me, and I go, Oh man, this guy knows. This guy knows acting and, and what to say and how to direct you so you can follow it. And, you know, he's, you know, so that's, that's another reason why his movies are so great. He does know, but m most of them don't. Yeah. And George didn't know anything. Yeah. That's, I mean, uh, you know, uh, and he blamed how, us. Howard the Duck notwithstanding. Well, those lines. And I go, <laughs> that's what he would say. And I go, the first day scene, you know, you shoot a movie out of sequence. So you, we're in the middle of a field, snow field, the middle of nowhere. And I go, now, is this is this shot starting right after we 
drive the Lexus over the cliff and now we're back up? I don't know. I don't have time to answer those questions. <laughs> Jesus. You don't know. You wrote the yeah. thing. Yeah. And and I didn't know my lines as well. And I that's true. That first scene I didn't. Because I didn't bother. And my dad had just died like two weeks before. And I was just, but after that, I, I knew him and I knew them inside now. Just that first thing. And my question, by the way, when I go, does this take place after the thing goes, the car's down the cliff and we're here? The answer was yes. <laughs> so I was right, you know, it was just, so six weeks in, Nicholas goes, we had a scene where we're changing clothes and money in the, we robbed the bank, we're changing clothes. And so Nicholas, what do you want us to do? Well, I do whatever you want, do whatever you want. And Nicholas was like, no, you're the director. What do you want us to do? And whatever you want, whatever you want. Nicholas goes, all right, fine, forget it. You can't just do whatever you want. It's, it's complicated, you gotta choreograph it. So Nicholas took over and to do this and this. And after that, the three of us took over. Go, let's see, maybe we should do this. Let's try this. You know what I mean? We had to. And the first AD took over, Jack Green. And one time they were doing a scene. And Danny goes, should we wait for George? And Jack Green goes, whispered in Danny's ear, what does he do? Look <laughs> how bad it was. Wow. And I don't care if George is he, 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 That's all he would say. Nicholas didn't do any press for it. He was so disappointed. And have uh, goes, oh man, this is bad. I goes, I got to do something dark. Yeah. And then he goes, hey, I got this script about a guy who drinks himself to death. <laughs> Pretty dark, don't you think? He goes, yes. <laughs> yeah, I got to do that. And it was leaving Las Vegas, and he did yeah. it next to win the Oscar. That is that is pretty dark. Have you have uh, yeah, and you don't have to name the project, but I've heard of people that uh, haven't wanted to do press. Is there ever anything that turned out in a way where you're like, no, I'm not going to go on the Tonight Show and promote that? Yeah. It, One time, I don't want to say what, but it was a no. Movie. It's fine. I was only I was only in it for four days, <laughs> and then they wanted me to go on the show. I go, it's not my movie. I'm just yeah. like a small part. And they wanted me to go on a talk show. You're the only one that can get on. I go, look at, I didn't, I go, I, my part's this. I'm not, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I did it, you know, I did it. And that I stopped doing movies like that where I'm just doing it just for money. It's very, right. it kills you. It's just like, so no. they got mad at me. And then the well, if you look at the movie, it looks like I'm the lead. <laughs> well what is this yeah well they don't know the other guys i go they didn't work on it for like three months or four a month you know five weeks i was three days yeah. four days i go i'm the the lead <laughs> and then you go, what anyway this stuff happens you know but you gotta work you know what i mean people go yeah. well you're lucky you're working yes very lucky well give but our give our friend Give our friend Dennis Miller credit. He did the big media tour for his uh, his magnum opus, as he calls it, Bordello of Blood, the vampire hooker movie that he did. He he was on every talk show promoting that because he felt he felt he owed it to them. Well, if you're the lead in a movie, yeah, you, yeah. But if you're, you know, yeah, right. No, exactly. And it was like that. That was why they were scenes. doing. You want me to be the? Yeah. You're acting like I'm the lead. Uh, I want to, I want to bring it uh, full circle to, uh, close it down in a second, but, uh, I wanted to go back for one second talking about 
recording the critic obviously that was uh there's a great regular voice cast there but uh what i just wanted to talk about uh one person who uh maurice lamarche who does to me the best uh, orson wells that i've ever heard there's uh, i remember very well him doing like fish sticks and pea commercials on the critic um it, yeah. it, were were you around to sort of watch you know this this guy who doesn't look anything like Orson Welles just basically become oh, yeah, Orson it's Welles. like a magic act you know yeah. <laughs> Maurice is amazing he's had an amazing uh, ear he in fact I did a movie once I don't know I was mad so they wanted a line dubbed and I go well I'm it was like anyway I don't know I couldn't do it. they all come I go I'm out I'm I go, you know what? I go, call Maurice. And I go, he imitates me. This is how good, good his ear is. Like he, he yeah, he can imitate all those guys. Well, this is how good he is. Two examples. One is I played for Dana Carvey, uh, him doing voices. And Dana, and Dana is great. And Dana goes, that's spooky good. That's like, you <laughs> couldn't believe it. And then one time, I, um, I think I was doing something in a movie. So he had to do a lot. Anyway, Maurice does a, a great impression of me. It's so good. He called me once. He goes, listen to this. And I'm listening and I go, oh, this, that's me. He goes, no, that's me doing you. <laughs> I go, no, that's me. He goes, no, it's me. And it was. Wow. it was him. I thought it was me. And it was him doing me. Oh. He's unbelievable. It, it, yeah, he, he's, he's it's crazy. Yeah. Well, you swear it's the guy. He does Johnny Carson perfect. He, he does a lot of voice. So he did all the celebrity voices on the in the critic. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I mean, his, uh, you know, his biggest role was as the brain in Pinky and the Brain. And that voice is basically his Orson Orson. it's his yeah. Orson Welles voice. Yeah. <laughs> Um, you're talking about the the voiceover thing. I was just reminding reminding me of something that I, I saw Phil Hartman talk about on a talk show you know, forever ago. That uh, there was some Nicholson movie he didn't want to do the the ADR the additional dialogue. Oh no, yeah, well, no, no. This is what happened was he could do Jack Nicholson. So, yeah. So um, he 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 dubbed the line. Jack Nicholson wasn't available, so they hired Phil to imitate him in a movie called The Border. The Border. Yeah. But not like a, a guy at a home is like the border, like a Mexican border, the border of a country. Anyway, so Phil got me in the golf. We were at Witsit in Studio City, Phil and I and Dana. And Jack Nick, Nicholson would go out there and play golf. So we're, we're out there, like I think the second hole. It's like a par three thing. Just practice. Anyway, so we look and Jack Nicholson's behind us. We see him and then he like hits a bond and hits a car in the street. It was pretty funny. So we wave him through, like, go ahead. And so he's walking and and I said, Phil, you should do your uh, do your line for him. And he goes, No, I don't want to do that. I go, No, he'd like it, you know. So anyway, Jack Nicholson was like, Hello, fellas. You're Lorne. And I go, I go, and I'd met Jack Nicholson before they had, and I go, Hi, you know Phil and Dana there on the show. He goes, Yeah, I know who you guys are. So we're talking and I go, you know, Jack, uh, Phil did a line of yours. One, he dubbed a line of yours once 
and um, and he, and 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 uh, and Phil goes, well, you know, it was, it was uh, the movie you did the what line, the border, and uh, you're in the So I did the line. So Phil does his impression of the line that he did. So he's doing his impression of Jack Nicholson to Jack Nicholson. And Jack Nicholson goes, ah, the border. And Jack Nicholson goes, oh, no wonder it was my only loser. <laughs> and then he walks away. And then Phil looks at me, goes, God damn it, John. Oh, I didn't want to do it. And I, of course, I'm crying laughing. Because <laughs> he didn't want to do it. And I go, no, no, do it, do it, do it. I thought Jack Nicholson would like it. And then that's what he said. <laughs> it's my only loser. It was so funny. Oh. Phil was so mad. <laughs> well, um, I you know, you started off talking about how seeing uh, Woody Allen uh, and listening to the albums, that was sort of an, uh, you know, an yeah, influence. Yeah, I used to imitate them. Yeah. Albums do the dorm, routines in my dorm. I'd write out all the lines and what he would say and arrows going up and when his voice would go up or down or hit a consonant and the I, re I didn't realize it then, but I was teaching myself, you know, uh, listen, imitating him. I was learning timing and delivery and everything. You know. So how That's was, how, what was it like for you to actually get to do a Woody Allen movie, Small Time Crooks? I think that was. Uh, I was what, in heaven. Yeah, that's what I imagine. <laughs> we had a scene. I didn't, it was, all my scenes were with Woody Allen and, Michael Rappaport and Tony Darrow. And they're all from New York and have thick New York accents, very thick. And I'm from yep. Los Angeles, the Valley, Tarzana. So I I wanted to ask Woody, I go, can I, Helen Robbins, the producer, I go, can I ask a question? Well, he's busy making the movie. He doesn't like questions. I go, well, I'm in the movie he's making. <laughs> I'm in it. I can't ask him. She goes, well, what's your question? I go, well, I just want to know if I should do a character because they're all from New York or I should just be me. She says, well, you probably just be yourself. I go, well, can't, I can't ask him. She says, well, he doesn't like questions. <laughs> so anyway, I'm on the set the first day and I, I said, I go, Woody, please. I know you don't like questions, but I just have one question, just one. It's about my character. Can I please ask you? He goes, yeah, okay. I go, okay, good. So I want to know if should I do a character? He goes, well, as long, he goes, as long as it's real, you know, that, you know, so the, anyway, um, so we do this scene. I never any lines. He goes, I'll just tell you what I told the other guys. You know, if you want to change anything, go ahead. I go, really? I won't change your dialogue. He goes, yeah. He goes, and um, just make, you know, conversational. That's what I want. Okay. So the next day I had to see red lines. So I was imitating this guy named Cha-Cha who used to uh, be a boxing manager. He's Tony Danza's boxing manager. And and he had a restaurant in the in the village. And, and Cha-Cha, he was on, the, if you hear the wise guy's, radio show he was on that cha-cha and he he talked he talks like this cha <laughs> and he goes yeah this woman she said i was the quintessential new yorker you know he sounded a lot like sheldon leonard but he talks like this you know so so i started doing that what he goes come here come here he goes listen you don't need to do that you know he goes because you know guys like us were funny he goes they're good but guys like us were already funny and just when i tell people it's going to be mean john always they think it's fantastic so you know, guys like, you don't have to do it. Guys like us are already funny. I go, okay. So I go back to my market. I started crying because, you know, 
when I was growing up, I wanted to be Willie Mays. You know, as a kid, my dad would yell, oh, there's more to life than Willie Mays. And I remember going, no, there isn't. I was 12, you know. And then I wanted to be Woody, like a comedian. And he goes, who do you think you are, Woody Allen? You know, so now, you know, I, I, I'm doing his routines in my dorm. And, and, and I saw the movie, Take the Money and Run, when I was 13. First time, and 29, 29 years later, I'm in a movie with Woody Allen. And he's saying, guys like us, right? Yeah. And and it was like, he's why I became a comedian. Now he's the guy why saying guys like us were already funny. I mean, fellow comedians. So I just was like, it validated my whole life. And I started crying. I go, geez, I got to get a hold of myself. You know, I'm going to lose it. And uh, I remember called Dana Carvey that night and he goes, what's it like? And I go, he said, guys like us. I told him the story. And yeah. Dana started screaming, guys like us. I go, I know, guys like us. Like he got it right away, you know. And he couldn't have been nicer to me. It was fantastic. And I, one of the scenes, it was just the two of us. And he kept wanting to reshoot it because he wanted to make it longer. You know, and he goes, you know, I hope you don't mind. I go, mind? Someone said to me, he said he hopes you don't mind doing it. And I go, I'll do it all day, every day. Are you kidding? And my <laughs> And I went up to him, we're doing the scene. I go, Woody, what I thought I would do. He goes, no, no, don't tell me, surprise me. I go, okay. So I go back and he goes, and he goes, well, this happens in the scene. You go here and then maybe you go here. I go, okay. But I'm like this. <laughs> He's telling me. I'm, Big smile, yeah. I was so happy. I was so thrilled. I cannot tell you. Thrilled. And, <laughs> and, 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 and we're doing the scene and the, I've never felt that in sync with another actor because I realized I'd learned my timing from him, you know? So it just felt perfect. Him taking, no, it's this, this, I go, no, it's this. And I could feel it. And I remember going, oh, does he feel this? Does he not? No, this is the new comedy team. I should have said it to him, you know? Yeah. And I kept making him laugh, which was thrilling. And then he would come up to me, he goes, you know, I looked at the dailies from the seniors today. He goes, you really made me laugh. And I could see myself laughing. He goes, but I never laugh at daily, dailies. And I just want you to know you really made me laugh. Yeah. No, I, I mean, that, I became a comedian. It, and, and, it, and I'd met him like five years before through Brian Hamill. Brian Hamill was a still photographer. Brian was a friend of mine. And Brian, you know, like if you know the famous poster from, uh, what's the one there on the bridge, him and Woody Allen? Uh, Diane Keaton in Manhattan, or I think so. Yeah, Brian. Yeah. That's Brian's photo. All the photos are Brian's. You know, all the posters. And I, so I'd gotten to meet him before, and I got to go. He goes, "If you ever want to come to the set," and Brian goes, "What do you say?" He goes, "Come back anytime." He goes, and "Brian's like he's told you come back to the set anytime. He never lets anyone on the set. He must really <laughs> like you." Yeah. You know, I go, well, I but you know, well, I was, I was thrilled. You know, it was the best. It was the best. One time he's talking to Michael Rappaport and I, and, and, and then he leaves. And Michael was just as thrilled as me to be working with him, right? And Michael looks at me and goes, John, we just, he goes, think about it. He goes, we just got, he goes, 10 minutes of pure Woody. <laughs> yeah. And I go, I, right? We were both like, Woody, Woody, you know, he was our idol, you know, we were like, yeah, he's like he's like the the master thespian for you, you know, in terms yeah, of like and, modeled and everything he, on him. And then he goes say whatever you want. But now, what was great was brilliant about him was like if a scene 
wasn't working. He goes, it's not working. It wouldn't matter because we felt he's going to fix it. And he, then he would. He goes, nah, maybe do this. And that. he knew what he was doing. So you knew you were in the hands of a master. So it was just like, it was fantastic. Oh, just, it was the best, you know. Yeah. Then he'd stop at 4.30. He goes, I got to go to a basketball game. You know, it's not my life. <laughs> no one had that attitude. Yeah. <laughs> it's the... It's the opposite of uh, SNL where people didn't show up till 4.30 in the afternoon and, you know, work until, you know, yeah. the sun comes up. But it was great, you know, and I go, put me in another one, put me in another one. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Well, uh, John, it's uh, always a delight to get the chance to talk to you, and I appreciate you being so generous with your time and so many great stories. Do uh, you? I do. And uh, when... Ah. When we get another 500 episodes under my belt, then we'll talk to you for episode 1,000. But, you know, maybe sooner. That would be great. How's your <laughs> but, podcast doing? Uh, well, oh, yeah, um, my, so my, jo my joke line is 500 that... 500th uh, show. It's an honor and an insult. And it an took insult. 500 shows to get to this. Yeah. We're celebrating 500 with you. Yeah. An honor. Yeah. I am honored and I am insulted at the same time. When when how we got to two hundred episodes, <laughs> when I got to two hundred episodes, I had Dennis on episode two hundred and one because I thought it was funny. I don't think he thought it was funny. I think he wanted to be on two hundred. I was like, "But you're on two hundred one, isn't that funny?" He's like, "No, he didn't say it like that." But tell him I'm on five hundred. I'll go again. <laughs> well, exactly. How many people but listen to this? Uh, my my joke is that we have more episodes than we have listeners. That is not actually true, uh, but <laughs> it's uh, you know it's uh, it, it is definitely built up. We have a very core loyal audience. I think when people see that John Lovitz is on, this will be one of our highest rated episodes uh, in the in the uh, perhaps in the six figures is what I'm hoping for. So. And hopefully everyone who's listening and watching, they go and see you and all those upcoming. Uh, 103.892. 103.892. But maybe, look, if, as long as we have one person in Schaumburg, Illinois, one person in uh, Springfield, Missouri, and all of the cities that you listed earlier, that I feel like is going to be a success. The last time I did a podcast sitting here, it was with Bob Saget. Oh, I, you know what? I heard that one. Your animals kept crawling all over you while you were talking to Bob. It's very funny. Yeah. Bob, Bob, Bob. Was, Bob was great. Up the butt one too many times. <laughs> what, what did you have to do for your, you, you spent so much of your act talking about Bob at one point. So, uh, I know. I, yeah. But I guess. Uh, well, I don't know. Can you can you just adapt the jokes to be about Dave Couillet? No, <laughs> I still try some of it. I, you know, I I was in Florida when I heard the news. I was working, and Bob was such a great friend, and uh, I felt so guilty not being able to go to his funeral. You know. Yeah. And then I realized, well, it's not like he's coming to mine. I feel, I feel like if there's anyone who would appreciate what? that joke, it's Bob. <laughs> God bless him. Yeah, it's very sad. Yeah. 
but uh, but this is a joyous occasion. John Lovitz making his uh, first, perhaps only, but hopefully not only appearance on the Blackcast. We'd love to have you back. At oh, Real DMZ. John I thought it said TMZ. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, Christian DMZ. No, 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 no. I don't. No, I don't have. Uh, zone. Does that mean that Dennis Miller isn't in it? Yeah, well, that is Miller. when I developed my Twitter name was during the old radio show. And Dennis had the premium member service like a lot of radio shows do was called the DMZ. So Dennis, when he was on Twitter, he was Dennis DMZ. So I'm like, all right, well, I'll be Christian DMZ. And I thought about changing it, but I'm like, nobody knows me from not that. So I like Christian Blackcast isn't really going to catch on. So I, I just kept Christian DMZ. So that's how we got it. And that <laughs> is a perfect way to end our conversation here as part of our 500 yeah, episode just celebration. Don't stop talking. I know. <laughs> trying. But uh, thanks right, again thank to John you. Lovitz. Thanks to everybody. Please like. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. And subscribe. And I truly hope you've enjoyed this 500th episode of the Blackcast as much as I have. Thank you all for listening. You know, I could say that there wouldn't be a show without each and every one of you, but let's be honest, I'll keep doing it even if no one listens. However, what all of you do is make it fun to keep doing the Blackcast, and I do legitimately really enjoy all of our interactions. I'm looking forward to more of those interactions, especially during this entire week when we're going to have a brand new episode of Blackcast each and every day. The next couple of days, I'll be joined by both Will and Jeff doing what we do best. So please join us every day this week, and we will see you next time on the Blackcast. Oh, would you look at that? There's a new episode of the Blackcast on my phone, ready to play right now. Listen in to Blackcast. I don't want to watch what's on the TV. iTunes that put on the BC. Podcasts on, no talking to me. Listen in to Blackcast. Keep up on comics and movies. Two phone ring, I answer hoodies. I can't talk, call back if you please. Listen in to Blackcast. You don't know what you are missing. Damn fine show hosted by Christian. He's just dope, no ass, I'm kissing. Listen in to Blackcast. Click subscribe on this podcast. You won't be the first, but don't you be last. Listen while you pumping your gas. Listen in the black cast. On this episode, it's Jean Grey talking about the things that she say. So distracted, didn't feed Bay. Listen in the black cast. Met this girl, she smiled in my face. Black cast in Chile to my place. Had one beer, she brought a whole case. Listen in the black cast. Cops knock on the door and listen. Black cast on, they think I'm Christian. Cops ran off, now I ain't tripping. Listen in the black cast. My point is, listen to this show. Don't need me to tell you it's dope. Rock so hard like Johnny Lithgow. Listen in the black cast. Oh yeah, that's the black cast. It's on the ghost twin TV or whatever. Oh, it's not. Oh, it's on AfterBuzz TV. That's right. That's that guy, Christian. You rock. Alright, several Texas had to go take care of some business, but I'm here to say, have a nice day, and listen to the damn show. Goodbye everybody, goodbye.